0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. The Boss Hog of Liberty podcast is the latest hit on the We Are Libertarians Network. Each week, Jeremiah Morrill and Dakota Davis explore life in Henry County, Indiana. It's a show about our circle of friends, public officials, and our experiences. 80% observation, life, humor, and 20% politics. Boss Hog of Liberty is the day-to-day happenings of Henry County, Indiana, which is just like your community. Add us on iTunes and sample us today. Dear Leader would want you to.
1: Oh, f- The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is liberty. Each week we strive to bring you the best guests and talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com and you can hear me... Kurt Nelson and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty. Rock and roll.
2: Hey, guys, this is Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode.
0: It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety
2: show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty
1: Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty.
2: And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at
0: lionsofliberty.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. We bring you all of the irreverence modern politics deserves while putting people before political parties. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective with the goal of leaving you better informed. Please be sure and rate and review us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and subscribe on Patreon at WeAreLibertarians.com. In exchange for supporting our program, we give you all kinds of bonus content and free stuff. You would have heard a Jordan Peterson rant at the very beginning of the show by Creighton Harrington. I rolled tape before we started, so you get to hear the beginning and the end. You get to hear... I wouldn't say rant. Yeah, you were, you were walking us through, Dr. Was, Jordan Peterson. It was a talk about it. <laughs> And, uh... You're going to have to talk <laughs> in that mic louder there, buddy. Who's it talking about? And uh, you you get to hear it in without commercial, high-definition, CD-quality audio. Mm-mm. Yes, My Smooth Pipes. What can you ask for better than that? This show is crowdsourced, so you can send us news with the hashtag News or in our Facebook group and Discord channel. We're always taking your questions and comments via email at editor at wearelibertarians.com. Please be warned that this show is raw, unedited, and authentic so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Joining me today are the original co-hosts from the 30s, the 40s Woo! episodes, uh, the first few. Uh, Creighton Harrington, you're first. How are you? We mm-hmm. good. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> uh, he's, he's wearing a Public Enemy Fight the Power t-shirt and a Han Solo jacket.
1: Well, I'm not wearing the jacket right now. All
0: right, and uh, Chris Galt, how are you? Oh, I'm a dreamer. <laughs> uh, we're all dreamers now aren't we chris oh yeah you came in with a little pep in your step didn't you oh yeah Your your buddy trump great week <laughs> don't we,
2: you feel inspired to be an american right now
0: i always feel inspired to be an american i don't need a politician to do that for mm, me
2: man but it feels good when one does it for you <laughs>
0: all right we'll get to that we're gonna talk, America. O- we're gonna talk he's got o- a
1: different pers- he's got a he's got a different idea for what the tone of the podcast should be he's got like a late night Late night. Uh, what's what's the smoking
0: jacket? What no? What's the what's uh, what? the ladies' man? Right, yeah. Right? He, he does kind of have that ladies' man robe on. You get look some, like get Hef- some cavazier and put on an afro <laughs> over here. Look yeah, I wore
2: shorts the last two weeks, but it is too cold today. Yeah,
0: <laughs> sweatpants. I don't even sweatpants. Yeah, Galt, you strike me as a sweatpants. They, they go under the table. Nobody can see anyway. <laughs> I'm wearing basketball shorts too. See? Yeah, I'm wearing my nice maroon shirt with my fresh, fashy haircut. You didn't leave the house at all today, did you? Oh, no, I went to work. Yeah, I had a very productive day, very busy day, very busy at work right now, which is not good for you guys, but good for work. So, um, yeah, so good times. Thanks for joining us. If you didn't listen to the last week's episodes, uh, got a lot of great feedback. I personally think that the previous episode, uh, 262, was the best episode of We're Libertarians ever. So thank you to my two co-hosts. That was definitely a great episode. Like a week ago today. A week ago today. Yeah. Yep, the Jordan Peterson episode. Yeah. I thought that was very good, and the one before that was good too. We so. did
1: a. We, yeah, I mean, this is the hat trick, ain't it? Three, yeah. three weeks in a row. Here. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How, how long will you be in town? Uh, a week from today is the seventh or the eighth. So I'll be here for that. Okay. One. All right. Maybe we'll do a, next week a, a four a four way. Oh, What's a four way at steak and shake? Is that uh, chili? What's it called cheese? when you get
2: four strikes in a row?
0: <laughs> <Did> certain death. <laughs> All right, so well, uh, so yeah, that was not the- baseball. Yeah. <laughs> no, in bowling, oh. <laughs> it took 262 episodes to do the best one ever. We're one minute in. We've already succeeded in not making this oh, the. Yeah. Uh, it's default.
3: the greatest. I'm, this is not well, going to be the best episode. Well, you
0: ever.
1: can't. We're, we we started off on a great foot last week because we started with Kermit the Frog singing in the pond, so <laughs> we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna be able to top that beginning. Our Patreon
0: <laughs> subscribers, you get a you get a bonus feed, an RSS feed that has all the uh, bonus content and all the the shows unedited cuz i literally just take them off the recorder and load them up to the patreon i don't wow. i don't edit them at all you used to i used to used i used to, to, to cut out people's hours.
2: curse words and stuff
0: curse words <laughs> breaths oh, he would, he, would,
1: he would literally like see he'd look over at the timer and he would just like make a little note on the time because yep. he had to do so much editing before he uploaded so it. Sometimes it'd be like a week before the freaking episode got up. This show was
0: so much more professional back then. <laughs> we and, tried really hard. And I would mostly do it to make myself sound good because I hate my cadence, I hate my voice, I hate everything that comes out of my mouth. Uh, and I would go in and and cut out the the uh uh so and uh and all that stuff and I, mm-hmm. I just don't anymore because that's not how people talk. That's not how I talk. That's not how you guys talk. And I want this to reflect friends sitting around a kitchen table. Although, who sits around a kitchen table? Uh, friends sitting around a couch uh, are talking. are sitting around a kitchen table. Yeah, yeah. we are, but uh, you're not supposed to tell. They're supposed to think on the YouTube that this is like a a high-quality studio desk. It's a kitchen table that you got a
1: cheap tablecloth from Party City for.
2: Right. <laughs> it's a high quality tablecloth, I think.
0: it, it is. I put some plastic some PVC over it so I can I wiped it he down. laminated it. Yeah, I wiped it down before you guys got here. I get With it. With your body? It's dirty, but I get it. <laughs> no, I no, <laughs> I, it was cat footprints. You guys are no. perverts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, very good guys. Let's let's jump into it. Let's uh let's do general impressions. Donald Trump gave his first State of the Union. He's this is the second time speaking in front of Congress. Last year he did an, an address to Congress. It wasn't an official State of the Union. Um but this was his first official State of the Union and uh, let's give initial impressions. Chris Galt, what did you think of Donald Trump's State of the Union address?
2: So I'm a big believer in the um Parallel universe theory, right? Okay, well, Explain. <clears throat> so I feel really, really bad for all those people in the other universe where Hillary Clinton's given her State of the <laughs> Union. <universe>. Because <laughs> it would have been the least inspiring speech in history. And I think this was the most inspiring speech that I've lived through. Right. It was definitely Donald Trump's best speech politically.
0: I think it was Donald Trump's best moment politically ever. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. He focused on um, things that are all-American, in God we trust, standing for the flag, all these heroes that stand up for our country. It it was just the most patriotic thing I've seen since before Obama, since like 9-11. I'm overflowing with patriotic mucus right now. (laughs) Right, yeah. It was really good.
0: I'm just full of patriotism right now. So that's my first
2: thoughts. Libertarian, in issues-wise, wasn't that great? I mean, we did um, what? 2.4 Two point four million new jobs, right? Yeah, but that's there was also three point
0: one um, trillion dollars in new deficit spending that he wants to. Yeah, he's not good.
2: I don't. How how do we go to the from the largest tax cuts in history to increasing all the spending? Yeah, it, well, it's always
0: a, something that it's called a Republicans in charge because there's there's countries to blow up, yo. Right, yeah. The uh, it's like the seventh largest tax cut in history. It's not actually the largest tax cut in history, but Donald Trump again thinks that if he says it out loud, that's the truth. Right? Didn't he say that he had the biggest viewership of any state of the union? Which is not true either. Yeah. Like that, it, did, it would even if there were forty-eight million people watched it. So that's still a significant amount of people. Uh, they watched it on TVs. That's not counting the streaming. I, I mean, think about yourself. I didn't watch it on uh, I did TV. I did. Really, I did, work
2: for Xfinity. I use X One Voice Remote. You can just say "State of the Union," did you, and it changed the channel for me.
0: But did you watch it on cable? Yeah. If you're interested okay. in
2: that, you can go to xfinity.com. <laughs> to right. They're not
0: paying me. They may be paying you. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, I watched it on actual cable. I watched it. I watched it on uh, Fox News. a YouTube stream. Yeah, I think I watched it on the Fox News app. Uh oh, and, okay. Cause I
2: think the app views actually started counting now. Uh, oh dude, it's I think those Hulu actually too. count now for Hulu.
0: it's on Hulu. Yeah, it's on YouTube, it's on uh, everything. Now, Creighton, where did you watch it at? I didn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, you've
1: seen one, you've seen them all. You've never seen Trump's state of the union. You've it,
2: never seen a- anyone like Trump in office before. So what? No, it's not going to be the same. Nothing he does is this the same. Of, <laughs>
1: The nuances amongst these things don't excite me in the way they used to. Right. It's it's more or less the same thing. It's, you know, one 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 groups in office and they're talking up all the things they want to talk up and the other guys don't clap and the headlines come out and they're trying to It's
2: it is the, the biggest display in partisan politics probably every year. Yeah, it, it,
0: it is it, the it is
1: the a year. bread and circus to some extent. Yeah. It's just a bread and circus for politicos. It,
0: right. It it's basically the Super Bowl for for nerds. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. And I. I'm, I will I was,
1: watch the Super Bowl this week, though. So I think that's I, my priority. I used to be a nerd. I am still a nerd. No, I just clearly not. I just am. <laughs> my 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 nerd priorities have shifted did, to some extent.
0: Did you hear him talk about Jordan Peterson before the show started? He's still a nerd. Yeah. yeah. No. I I get what you're saying. I like get. It, it is always the same thing. You know, the guy comes out. He says, "Mr. Speaker." Which was the job that I wanted as a kid. That was my dream job as a little kid. I wanted to work for Bob and Tom, done, and be the uh, guy that says, Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. And this guy, Skeletor, who did it this year, I could do it so much better. Yeah. No, but 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 th- anyways, my point is you, you the the guy comes out, he says that, the guy the president goes up there, he promises a bunch of stuff he's never going to do, he promises a bunch of things that he wants to fix, he talks about how America's great, or in Barack Obama's case, how America sucks and then they they all clap and then everybody debates over it and we forget about it in a week and none of that stuff that they promised ever happens. No. It
1: would be great if the state of the union became had a reputation for having bombshells. Right. Like not like faux pas, but actual bombshells where every year this president comes out and that's where he like It's like sweeps week. He saves his best for the State of the Union, and that's where he's like, all right, this is what I've done, or I'm about to do, I'm about to sign it. Heck, he could sign it right there. Like, he pulls out, this is the bill, this is the law, signed, it's in, like... If they did something like that at every mm. State of the Union... That's what the Donald wanted them to would, do with the memo. I would watch it. I they would wanted them to that.
2: walk up there and hold the memo out and read it aloud Are you should, to the audience. Who? The Donald. <laughs> oh, oh, that's what Reddit. they said. Yeah, that's what they said. Right, but, but my,
1: my point is that, that stuff doesn't happen. But you would have watched
2: it if you did that.
1: Maybe, yeah. I might have. <laughs> but like, that's my point, is that the State of the Union is just this...
2: It's just ceremony.
1: Right. And it and to me it's meaningless ceremony. It's not like we even need a state of the union to know how the union's doing.
2: No, it's reflection on the progress of the year. Um you go through what you're gonna your roadmap for the next year. Like it's I'm, it's it's pretty much the most public display of what you're gonna do and what you're committing to doing as president.
0: It, it really it's not even the next year, it's the next six days with the news cycle the way it is. True. No, I I think it was important for Donald Trump because I think People wanted to see him unfiltered without the media filter on it, and the media couldn't have fallen apart worse after this. They were beside themselves because uh, he didn't do anything outrageous or crazy, so now we're going to have to actually cover uh, anything that he does that is political but not a sideshow. You know, They had to talk about his policies and, and cover him as though he were a normal president and i i thought it was a good speech i thought that he was he was a definite shift from barack obama now it's been <clears throat> 2 years since we've heard barack obama give a state of the union but if you remember barack obama's state of the unions it was always it was kind of lecturing mm-hmm. you know barack obama would get up there and he'd talk about we made progress but, this was difficult, but this is what I'm going to do to
2: fix it. Right. And this but is what we still sucked. have
0: far to go, and we have not grown in these areas. You know, there's always a tone of scolding, and America doesn't like scolds. And Donald Trump, I don't. I don't know that for me. I was definitely not as jingoistic about it as as Galt was. I'm not as much of a jingoistic person. I love my country. I don't love my government. I don't really give a crap. I I could care less about the pledge. I stand for the national anthem because The pledge was written by a commie. Listen, the Star-Spangled Banner is named after me, so I got to honor it when they play my song. But no, I—it's—he it, tried very hard to give a nod to the patriotic crowd and and all that stuff, and that's his base. That's, and it's fine. That, that's yeah, because he's got
1: a—that's—that's that's one of his dramatis personae, right. Is to be the. To be the flag incarnate, yes, more or less. Yes,
0: the flag incarnate is uh, is a good way to put it. And and most libertarians, you'll see libertarians who outright hate any kind of nationalism. And nationalism and patriotism are two different things. Nationalism is a, a philosophical bent towards policies that keep the nation focused inward and favor isolationism where patriotism is more pride around your nation. But the reason that a lot of libertarians don't like patriotism as a concept is because it leads people to to bad consequences like the Iraq War. If you were alive during 2002, 2003, 2004, you remember how unpatriotic it was to speak out against the war. And we shouldn't use emotionally manipulative tactics like that when we're trying to debate policies that put our country and our soldiers in grave danger, and my own relationship with patriotism is that I am proud to be an American and I'm glad that I am American because the ideals of America and the foundation of this country are fundamentally libertarian, individualism, limited government, free markets, the virtue of production. The peace. Declaration
1: of Independence is like is just a libertarian
0: I document. Mean, yeah,
1: yeah, and it's just it was just basically repurposed from George Mason who basically repurposed it from John Locke right. and it's like all of these things that are fundamentally american values are more or less libertarian values i mean right. you know I, I think that's why to some extent uh there has been a more of an allegiance amongst libertarians and conservatives throughout the 20th century than there has between libertarians and the left and i know right. there's plenty out there that are shaking their hand at them that they're Radio right now for me saying that because uh, there was there's a history of the libertarians with the left but like let's be honest like we're a right leaning we class are and, yeah. and and we're just
0: right leaning on the issues that tend to be you, up in but like when it comes you, you may come from the left yeah but once you're in the libertarian movement I mean when you start to w- economics fundamentally the economics that we believe in right are much more right than they are to left.
1: But 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 then, but, I mean, but the reason that we're different from conservatives is because of, I think this is in the twentieth century. It's happened more than anything um, because of things like association with the nation state more than the individual. Right. Like libertarians fundamentally think of the individual individual supreme, and once you get into a patriotism, I guess uh, bout. Uh, you start, the danger is that you hide underneath this. You use patriotism as a blanket to protect you from having to deal with hard issues. Mm-hmm. You don't have to question the Iraq war or you don't have to question something that's happening domestically. Like right now, the big one about patriotism is whether or not you stand or kneel for the anthem at, at football games. Right. Like, you know, you can ignore the point the person's trying to make who's protesting the national anthem because it's unpatriotic. Mm-hmm. say I, he's, he just doesn't love his country, so I don't have to listen to a word he says right And that's not fair because that's identity politics right. And you don't you, you, you're igno- you're using patriotism not as this positive thing to, to give you more of a sense of solidarity with where you came from mm-hmm. and you're using it as a means to basically to, to shelter yourself from the realities of your world. And that's that's wrong. Don't don't close your eyes to the bad things that exist because you think that it makes you less patriotic. It doesn't. It makes you more patriotic if you want to fix those things that are happening in your, you know, in your society. Yeah. But it doesn't fit well with the idea and and frankly, the association with military as being patriotic. If you don't support some sort of military action or you support reducing the military presence in some way, shape Mm -hmm. or form, then you're not patriotic. And that is a very 20th century thing.
0: Yeah, I think Donald Trump's view of American exceptionalism is that we are we have the biggest military, the most wealth, and we have a white culture. And I don't think that he would expressly put it that way, but that's, in my mind, what a lot of Republicans, baby boomer Republicans, think about when they think about the Ameri- America being exceptional. Whereas I would define American exceptionalism as a very libertarian way of thinking we have freedom of speech we have freedom uh we have freedom uh privacy freedoms you know we have limited government we have a capitalist system these are all what made america great not having the biggest military (laughs) right when
1: i and i'm and this is a honest honest truth when i was younger um you know you go you talk they talk, talk about how uh how schools pollute the young mind, and and they're just indoctrination camps, and that may be true, um, and it may not be. Um, but when I was younger, in like when I say younger, I am like high school. Uh, we talked about you know the American dream, and, and and people talk about the American dream, this, the American dream that, and it was the American dream still alive? And and the way I was always brought, and this even goes back to like discussions on the founding of America, like what were the Puritans come here for, and stuff. I had always had this impression. That the American dream, so to speak, and even, like I said, Puritans and coming here to practice their religion, it was always they were running from governments. Right. The, 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 the early 20th century, the Eastern Europeans, the, the Europeans in general coming here, Irish, maybe, I don't know, maybe not Irish to an extent, but, but more or less they had these governments that were you know radically abusive, radically tyrannical. And they escaped that. They came to America because America was this shining city on a hill where the government would just leave you alone and you could... You could go and start your bakery on the corner and you wouldn't have the jack boots coming in taking half your bread and then shooting you in the face. Right. Like these are the kind of things that they were running from. And that was always like, that's why people want to come here is because the government will leave them alone. And it, it turned recently, like it seems like we've tried to rewrite that. And now the American dream was that you you came here with the expectation of success. And you came here or or uh the or yeah, the culture you came here with this expectation that you were going to get into this culture that that Was specifically American, and it was, and, and, and frankly, it's never been that. It's it's always been an amalgamation of you know tons of different worldviews and cultures and stuff, and that's partly why America is great, is because you know you turn any random corner in 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 Indianapolis and in, in any city, and you go to go to one state and go to another state, you've entered different worlds, fundamentally right. different worlds, but they're all they're, they're they're united in the sense that they're different and and if, if, if you if you if you come at all of this American exceptionalism as this like top-down sort of like nostalgic view of the past, then it leads to problems because it's never been that way. You yeah. know the good old days were never the good old days and and it doesn't give you something s- something some any foundation upon which you can build the future because it's built on a lie
0: fundamentally. The American dream was a gamble. The, the the dream was that you could succeed, not that you would succeed. And I think that the left in the country has taken the American dream and said everybody is going to end up successful according to the way we define success, which is government programs,
1: materialism, materialism. You were, yeah. The American dream was that you could be part of the middle class, right? Where that's not really what it was, yeah. But that's how they interpret it. You were you could be part of the middle class. You could you could retire. Right or or something, and it's like a very material materialistic way of looking at things. Not to be surprised if we're talking about leftism.
2: Mm-hmm. But I'm a, I I don't know. I think I'm different than you guys. In what way? I'm I'm I, I think I'm very patriotic. Sure. Um, I'm an Eagle Scout. If I was in a uniform, I would always salute the flag, I'd always stand for the anthem, things like that. I uh, the, the whole NFL thing always rubbed me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, even the libertarians, like I'm, I always they should always be able to do whatever they want, of course. But I, I never thought that was the right time to do it. Is that um, great? Or the, or, like, did they make any change ever? This whole thing, no, it's just been a spectacle. No, I think and that's, that's what, not. True. No, so, that's
0: not true. I would say uh, that Colin Kaepernick raised the issue. And it got talked about, but then oh, wow. wow, Facebook hashtags. Good no, job, no, guys. No, no. well, that's called society now. But then oh. Donald Trump changed the issue to whether or not it was patriotic, and I would say it if, isn't. But I'd say it is. That's I, not
1: even the point. The that, that's what I'm saying. That's not even the point of that. Now, let You've see. changed goalposts. Like, he, he's trying right. to make a point, and instead of addressing his point, you say, it's a red herring. Oh, well, that's all well and Danny, but you're disrespecting troops that are dying for your freedoms. Right. It's like, that's not the issue.
0: Yeah, so he hijacked the actual conversation. They hijacked the flag. But... Would, they didn't need I would to argue put, that it's the ex- flag
2: doesn't have anything to do with the issues of, of does it not? No
1: what what does the flag represent then? if not if it does if it does it, it really only represents the good things is that what you're saying? No then it also represents it the doesn't bad represent
2: things. everything. What is it, Then what the what, so then every protest in the world can be protested by using the flag. That's the symbol of it, all protests. No, I in mean, America in, in, it shouldn't
0: be. In Saudi Arabia they burn it and protest. If you're protesting the
2: American, police, then you should go protest the okay, police department. Either either the American flag to do with the flag. either the
1: American flag specifically represents the United States government. It does. The, or it represents the concept of Americanism. And if it represents the concept of Americanism, then it also represents the bad things that happen in our country. And that's what he was – that's why he targeted the flag itself, not to mention because he knew that it would get people talking about it. And but if, if it represents just the government – offensive. Even, even if it does it just – It got people talking about it because it's offensive. Even if it does represent just the government, then it also represents the bad things the
2: government does.
1: So, like, you're you're trying to you're basically trying to say the flag only represents. I have the good been things. fighting
2: against the bad things the government does my whole That's life. Irrelevant, and I still That's would not, not disrespect the American
0: flag like that. All right, so let me ask you this question, Galt. Okay. Do you believe that the flag represents? Is it a political symbol? Globally, sure. Okay. Or in domestic? How about to you? To you specifically? No. Okay.
2: It's a symbol of my country. That okay. foundation that you were just describing that you should be proud of. Right. That's
0: what it stands for. Included in that is the First Amendment and the citizens' duty to speak out against injustices that they see in the world. We may not agree with the injustices, but don't people may, have a right I, may,
2: I I do agree with the injustices. Okay. I just don't agree with the way they were protested. Right.
0: Do you think That's where I'm different? Do you think that we would have he, had he had he as,
2: has, he has so many ta- much time in front of reporters to voice an opinion to have a coherent and discussion about an issue, right? Not to make a
0: grandstand he on his knees, so. but but he don't you that think too. that doing the grandstand because he did do that before? But don't you think that during doing that stunt, let's call it a stunt, that's still
2: going on? I went to a Colts game, right? Just one of the last weeks, and they were still doing it, right? They'll still do it next year. And it'll never who, stop. What's who, the point? Who, who cares? Yeah.
0: What's the point? So why are
2: how, we all how good about was it? that protest?
0: Right. <laughs> so why
2: but, disrespect the flag? What's the point? Right. But there nobody, he specifically. But to, why to protest, protest up for,
1: anything at all? When was the last time
0: a protest directly resulted in any kind of legal activity uh, of any and, kind. And that I agree. Like, And that, I think, you're, is what you're saying. Like, What's the point of protesting? What's like, the point of protest at all? All you're going to do is turn people like me off again. It's, so, its point is to start people talking about things. Right. Colin Kaepernick sat on the bench and then after talking to one of his teammates who was a soldier, started kneeling in protest because he didn't want to disrespect right. soldiers. Right. An actual right. actually I read the told him, yeah,
1: you should probably kneel because it's a little bit right. better, and he did.
0: But the bottom line is call him Kaepernick, specifically.
2: You know <laughs> and the step better than that is to not do it at all to the right. flag.
0: <laughs> so but. I would say that, yes, the flag is a political symbol, but it is also um, – I don't know what the, what the right word would be besides a political symbol because it does represent the United States government – but i think to most americans it does represent something bigger it represents heritage it, it rep- and-
1: it's yeah it's a uh, it's an avatar right. more or less i personally don't see it as being higher than the actions that it's supposed to represent. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people look at this as if you protest the flag, well, you're protesting the very fundamental rights you have underneath that flag. Right. Like, you you protest the American flag, then you're protesting your right to free speech. And all mm-hmm. this. You're, like, you're protesting
2: that you don't want to follow the form of government that you have. But that's not
1: what they're doing. And I don't think, and I think you, and I frankly, and frankly, I think that you, ha- you have to be, very dense to think that that's what they're trying to say.
2: You have to emplace upon them a motivation the like stands that. stands for that foundation that we've been discussing. Who are, By protesting that foundation, you're protesting the foundation of the libertarian principles that we agree with. You're, you're not, though. Because that's not what but you're that's saying. Not the flag can stand for any individual reason that you want it to, because it's an issue yeah, in American but, politics. Well, if if, we're, if a, we're if we're, yeah, gonna, if we're not going to be
0: if we're not going to be, you can get a flag to represent anything you want. It's if enough symbol. people agree on it, that's right. the point of a symbol. You know, we have a Kekestani flag up there. I mean, that's you know enough internet trolls agreed that their nation was the Kekestani nation, and they created a Kekestani flag. But like. If you're going to sit there and try and say – you're
1: basically you're trying to emplace a motivation upon them that is, again, different than what they're actually trying to say. You're not addressing the actual points that they're trying to make because you disagree with the vehicle, and it's – and that's fine. You can disagree with the vehicle, but you still are supposed to at least address what they're trying to say, and that's the whole thing is no one who disagrees – no one who – everyone who disagrees with, with their point fundamentally – has shifted the conversation. The people who do agree with their point say, look... I am fully aware that I have all of these rights under the under the United States government. I, I fully support the Bill of Rights and, and my fundamental rights as an individual. And I am proud that there are people out there who are willing to fight the enemies that want to tackle our system of government. They, they, can, they can literally come out and say that in words. But and I then won't their actions, show it. Actions speak louder but, than words. But their actions exist outside of football games. I'm not just talking about Colin Kaepernick. I'm talking about all of the individual millions of Americans that actually stand for. Like, are you going to sit there and tell me that all the Black Americans who support the guy taking a knee are bad Americans at the Ooh. same time?
2: Man, I wish I was Jordan Peterson because <laughs> he just punch a bunch of, You just, you just like vastly generalized an entire argument, just no, like that I lady did. in the in, that we went through last week.
1: That is not what That's I did. A, you, I, I, I'm asking you a question: If somebody who Agrees with Colin Kaepernick taking a knee as a sign of protest because they agree with his fundamental point of which he has said explicitly is racial injustice in America. If you agree with his point, then you, by your logic, are at the same time fundamentally disrespecting the very the very form of government that has given them their rights as individuals in this in in our society. And you're saying actions speak louder than words. But are you there but that is implying, if you say that, that is implying that those individuals who agree with him are bad Americans no, outside it's not. Yes, it does because their actions as Americans are probably very good. They probably go to work, they contribute to society, they go to church, they do all of these things that good Americans do, but they had, they agree with Colin Kaepernick Man. on one protesting point, and therefore their actions suddenly speak that action suddenly speaks louder than all of the actions they do in their lives. People are more complicated than one protest. But that protest brought an issue out into the world for people to see. It wasn't just America. It was out into the world, and people talked about it. And that was his whole point. And you're going to try and say that that was fundamentally disrespectful, therefore let's ignore the point.
0: I didn't say that. That's what you are implicitly no. saying. That's. What, <laughs> Do you hear that, how he sounds? That's my but whole that's, point. I but did not say let me, that. Let me defend Galt here and say that is what Donald Trump is saying. I don't know that. Galt is, Galt is saying I'm. Uncom- I'm saying
2: I agree with the, their I, issue.
0: I'm uncomfortable with yeah with the this way display, they're doing it. But Donald Trump has explicitly made it about because you know you're disrespecting because the flag. Yeah. I
2: I come at this and I maybe I agree with their issue. Okay. So how do I how do I show them when they're kneeling for the flag that I am on their side? When I'm patriotic and I've always will stand for the flag and I will always right. do that. How do okay. I show my support? Just, I can't. Yes, you can. That is a it because is a bad it is a bad protest. I think, no. if, uh, but it is I think is a if bad protest. But I
0: think if you're if you're under your scenario, if that were the only way to protest, but you come on this podcast, you contribute sure. to this. Yeah. You know, I, I, mean, I find my this, own other ways. Exactly but, right. Yeah. But, but
2: the regular person doesn't. Was right. the only that, way to, to the regular sa- person? That's the only way to protest this issue. Now was the only way to support civil rights in
1: the sixties
0: to go march on Washington? Was that the only way to show your support for civil rights? But I think you two are kind of making each other's arguments now. So let's let's move on to <laughs> – let's move on. I think we kind of – we I think that give gave people a lot of food for thought because fundamentally that's what nationalism – and I – listen, nationalism and patriotism, again, two different things, and I think you can be patriotic and not be nationalistic. I consider myself patriotic. I do love America, and I like the symbols of America because I like the good things about America, but – I fundamentally take exception with the bad parts of America and that's why I love the First Amendment and I I'm I'm a, a, an aggressive free speech advocate so even if I find a particular yeah. action like him kneeling during the flag to be let's say offensive existed let's say I'm offended by it I would not want to advocate for that right to be taken away never I'm because not saying that Not not even just not even just in the legal realm I'm talking about team owners yeah like his job no he shouldn't be punished mm-hmm. but i do understand that the free market will like he was talked about to to come here to indianapolis and he would have been a better quarterback than than the one that the colts had this year <laughs> and there was a revolt in the fan the base ain't too bad. he wasn't bad
2: Even already in high school, I was already a libertarian. And I remember senior year when um, I had other friends that had already pulled over or were already there. And I remember multiple of them wouldn't even like Pledge of Allegiance or anything, wouldn't put their hand on it, wouldn't stand up for it. And I I, I mean, that's fine. I've never said that they shouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. That's not the issue.
0: I think every every American built into the ideals that those symbols uh, advocate for – should have the right to abstain from them. You have the right to not abstain. And I think a lot of libertarians see patriotism and the flag and other symbols of patriotism as a gateway drug. It's a gateway drug to statism. <laughs> and if you get on that slippery slope, Trumpism. <laughs> if, if, if you say the pledge once, then the next thing you know, you're going to be wanting a war. And it's like, okay, well, you guys need to chill because that isn't necessarily the case. But, uh, but I think... The Barack Obama view of America was that America is great as France is great as other nations are equal, whereas Donald Trump is much more of that unashamed, pro America. It was a much more optimistic speech than what what we had over the past eight years. It was more optimistic than George W. Bush's speeches later in his presidency. Yeah. Uh, It was. It, it didn't connect with me in the sense that I felt he gen- – I mean, I know he probably believes that stuff, but I've lost trust in Donald Trump to say anything that he might mean or that I can count on so that when he does give a speech like this, because I follow it so closely, I go, yeah, but he's going to tweet something tomorrow that's going to undermine everything but he, he said. He didn't. And, and listen, the CBS numbers – I mean, uh, let me – let me get the numbers here, but turning the page. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. I don't know. I don't know where it went. But yeah, it was it was really incredible. Some of the the numbers that came out of that speech, so... Because he didn't do
2: anything absurd he, during the speech, so if the media... So he knew that he just had to sit and wait, because the media had nothing to attack him Donald with.
0: Donald Trump... All they did was make themselves even less credible. Donald Trump gave a very normal speech that would have been average for... It would have been panned if George W. Bush gave it, because it was so long. It was the third longest, and... It didn't get panned because Donald Trump is so absurd that when he meets the bare minimum of the presidency, we're all blown away. And and listen to these numbers from CBS that happened during the speech. CBS, their YouGov poll and approval ratings. 97% of Republican speech watchers liked it. 72% of independents liked it. 43% of Democrats liked it. Those are really solid numbers. Wow. Uh, 75% of America approved of the speech. Um, Eight out of ten Americans in the poll felt that the president was trying to unite the country with the speech, and two-thirds of Americans said it made them feel proud. Less than a quarter that watched it said it made them feel scared or angry. Um, And I'm reading this from the Daily Mail, which I know is not a real news source, but they... Do the best compilations of things, and this title, the article of this is American people turning against Trump hating celebrities. So you know I had to click on that. <laughs> uh, so, so they basically break down those numbers, and then they go into, um, you know the the celebrities on Twitter acting as if he had just committed the crystal knocked and the beer hall pushed at the same time, <laughs> and the night of the long knives was was right after it. Um, Sarah Silverman tweeted, I was told darkness could not exist in the light, but here it is for everyone to not see. Jim Carrey tweeted an illustration of sharks across a map of America, then tweeted another weeping Abraham Lincoln, and the <laughs> caption, it's my party and I'll cry if I want to. Uh, Andy Las <laughs> <laughs> Andy Lasner, this must be a column, producer of the insufferably smug The Ellen Show, which I've never found The Ellen Show to be smug, but okay... Good luck Saturday Night Live, uh, on trying to make this look any more fucking ridiculous than it already is. Jeffrey Wright <sighs> raged, "Can't even watch this vile, deceitful fraud and his bizarre cult of self-interested sycophants." That sounds exactly like what the Oscars will be. What like exactly how I feel about the Oscars. <clears throat> uh, Jessica Chastain urged people not to watch it all. Billy Eichner fumed, "The president is a lying, incompetent, racist, misogynist sack of shit." George Takei said, "I'm not watching some frothing orange gorilla read off a teleprompter." Uh, that actually, I,
1: that, that's that would, racist. Well, that would, but that would actually be really interesting to watch. I would an love ori- to see a fr- ori- orange gorilla, yeah. gorilla read off Orange is not a race,
2: so it's not right. a racist. <laughs> it's Oompa Loompa. Uh,
1: <laughs>
0: an orange gorilla reading off teleprompter. I would actually, I would click on that. I know. So I, I and I don't know about you guys, but I really feel like we hit. A turning point over the last month and this kind of crystallized it all we're in the middle of award season and every award show is all about how much Trump sucks they can't even they can't even congratulate themselves on anything that's going on they have to talk about Trump and let me be clear I work in comedy <laughs> beating spending your entire comedic performance beating up on Donald Trump is sad that's lazy it, the lowest form of comedy has been uh, is beating up on Trump and sorry puns you're out like puns used to be considered the lowest form of comedy now Unfair- it's Trump unfairly. now it's fairly now it's Trump hate no they <laughs> suck they're stupid bad puns, puns. Are not, yeah, but yeah, bad puns but so you just got to be creative yeah I <laughs> feel feel like America has settled a little bit with Trump I know I've noticed it in myself I've noticed it in our audience spit since the ta- the tax cuts
2: yeah when you're getting thousand dollar bonuses in your paycheck when you're getting more
0: money back every when week the when economy's your, going well when your tax page is going to be one page long I'm next up year. 10 I'm up 10 percent in my savings on stash I in do, two months When you're not required to have health care I do right. feel like uh, and
1: I could be absolutely wrong on this, but I feel like the tired, the exhaustion with outrage culture yes. is reaching a tipping point. Yes. Where people are hopefully just so over every single thing being the worst thing that's ever happened. Right. And I think if that outrage culture goes, so does the absurdness of political discourse right. to a large extent. Um, I mean I could like I said I could be one hundred percent wrong um but I, I feel like that's starting to happen and and it'll probably be really bad it, or not really bad it'll probably be it will probably happen a lot more or faster um or both if uh whenever whenever there's like an exodus from like Facebook and stuff yeah um which I think is starting to happen, yeah, so it's like as people. Because, you know, we're not going to Google Plus cult. fuck off because like that's how do they how do they get you? How do they get your attention? (laughs) They try and piss you off like one person says one dumb thing and it hits, you know, whether it's a campus reform or if it's the Huffington Post, somebody says something dumb. They write it as a headline. It gets you all mad. You argue in the comments for 10 minutes and you realize you're
0: wasting your time and you go on about your life. And, I think that, like that's <laughs> sorry, sorry, but Logan says puns about communism aren't funny unless everybody gets them. Uh, that's a bad. That's <laughs> not. <laughs> no, that was funny. No, <laughs> that, that maybe that's laugh. an old joke. Sorry to interrupt you, Creighton, but that's funny. I don't care who you are. And that's also no. A joke. I uh, <laughs> I I think that the the tax cuts and then everybody's the the democrats reaction going it's going to kill people and everything's going to kill you and everything is hyperbolic pushing and granny off a cliff i'll never forget gra- that pushing granny one. off a cliff and now and then and then you get into award season and you see all these rich people who are not connecting to our lives in any way shape or form going oh abraham lincoln's crying when most of america 75% of america watched that speech and liked it when i am one of the fiercest critics of donald trump and somebody who doesn't like him and didn't vote for him and won't vote for him again and i watched it and went all right not bad i would give it a 75% i'd give it a you know a nice solid c i mean it was it was a very good speech in the way that he he, he used the stories, I think, better than... You always see, you know, look at little Bobby Brown up in the rafters, and he's got terminal butt cancer, and that's why we need to pass no, cancer Trump form. Trump's de- delivery is just perfect. Trump, he, you said <laughs> with such a gloat. Uh, no, he... Yeah, they was tear-jerking. He used the speeches. He told the story better than any president. Mm-hmm. I, I never saw Reagan's speeches, but everybody... That I heard said best since Reagan, and I would agree in that when Barack Obama did it, it seemed like he was taking advantage of them. When George Bush did it, it was kind of like, eh. But when Trump did it, you went, damn, especially the South Korean or the Mm -hmm. North Korean defector. When he raised up those crutches, I think that was such a powerful moment of human freedom. Oh, and the
2: two families with the daughters?
0: Yeah, and I think that, that that North Korean moment was a moment when Donald Trump was saying to all of his critics in the chamber and watching, see, this is what an actual tyrant looks like, <laughs> and I'm not a tyrant, but I thought he used the speeches, the 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 stories very well, and he used the right stories that led into policy announcements – a lot of which i didn't like but he he used them effectively nonetheless so uh you know he didn't drool he didn't stand up there and drool like the kennedy guy but that's kind of what we all expected so but it
2: wouldn't be a great donald trump speech without a few little good jabs no, <laughs> and he, instead of the whole thing being jabs like it normally is yeah. he just he 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 smoothed it in there like a real politician. It was the, beautiful.
0: Yeah, there wasn't anything in that speech that it was personal or anything. Yeah, it was very well we, written. It was very we and very yeah. we're in this together. If you read the speech, I read the speech. It's very well written. Whoever wrote it was was did very well. Uh, but then once you get so you see what Americans see with their eyes, and we've said this about Donald Trump on the program. Look at with your eyes with what's going on. Like you, you can trust what is happening. With your own eyes, instead of relying on other people, what's what's my gut, like rely on my gut, I'm relying on my gut instead of what is what does the left think, what does the yeah, right think. Yeah, don't you do
2: that sometimes when you watch one of these and and then you go on to the news and you're like, wow, they don't think anything like I thought Exactly. When I right. watched that.
0: Let, let me give you 16 reactions, this is from, uh, I don't know what site, I think this was from the Daily Signal, which is a conservative leaning site. In 16 Reactions, How the Left Responded to Trump's First State of the Union. The first one that everybody was talking about was Joy Reid, a host of MSNBC. And she writes, On Twitter, church, family, police, military, the national anthem, Trump trying to call on all the tropes of the 1950s-era nationalism. The goal of this speech appears to be forced the normalization of Trump on the terms of a bygone era and his supporters are n- that his supporters are nostalgic for. So in her america church family police military the national anthem these are bad things you couldn't be more out of touch with most of america stop living in the msnbc bubble like you're going to tell me that church or that family is a bad thing like i can i can get down with the police brutality being a problem and we have our over militaristic and the national anthem really doesn't mean much. But, like, church and family are so fundamental to what most people, even the black community in this country, that, make, that vote 99% of the time with Democrats. Like, what are you talking about, Joy Reid? Uh, Michael Michelson, Melissa Michelson, uh, professor of political science at Menlo College in California, tweeted, Are they seriously chanting USA? I am embarrassed for my country. You mean the United States <laughs> Congress? <laughs> like what? Uh, like I mean, that's I mean, people chant
1: USA at anything that right. involves like, like at hockey games. It doesn't I mean anything, that's, right? That's that's a dumb thing to be upset
0: about. A Princeton University professor of African American Studies, Keegan Yamahata, tweeted: "The so Too is officially a Klan rally." University of Maryland College Park sociologist. <laughs> yeah,
1: just, could you what not? About, what about all the African American
2: congressmen, women? He
0: was easy. Well, they
2: were mad. They didn't stand up or clap or
0: anything. He's eating Sour Patch Kids, by the way, and drinking two, smashing two <laughs> Diet Dr. Peppers. <laughs> uh, don't you, tell me how to live my life. Philip oh. Cohen of University of Maryland College Park sociologist called it carnage porn. What uh, does that even mean? I don't know. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi tweeted. Did you see her chewing her cud? By the way, did you see the video? Did you at least see the video of her? Oh my god, you guys missed Nancy Pelosi's face during that speech. No. It's worth watching. It's chewing what? Her cud, like a cow. You know what cows chew? Like she's literally just Grass. like playing with her dentures in her mouth. That's weird. Nancy tweets: The so too performance last night was just that—a performance completely devoid of serious policy ideas that lead to real bipartisan efforts.
2: But I mean, he well. talked about compromising his whole thing with the wall and letting <laughs> millions of people become citizens paid for so that he
0: could get compromise and get his wall and work with them, and they just sat there. <laughs> he he said, I want to give you paid <laughs> family you... leave. You know what paid family leave is? That is a new entitlement program, so when you have a child, you get to stay home, and the government will pay you for it. Ah! <laughs> Chucky baby. Chuck, uh, we heard from Nancy now. We've got to hear from Chuck. After a long and divisive year, many Americans were yearning for the president to present a unifying vision for the country. Unfortunately, his so to address stoked the fires of the division instead of bringing us closer together. I got to be honest, like, he was trying to be bipartisan and strike a, a bipartisan tone. I don't believe him. <laughs> like, I wouldn't believe him if I were Chuck Schumer either, but... At least he, he was trying. The, it, there was
2: nothing he could have said to make Chuck well, Schumer not say that that's exact a, same I mean, thing. That, that's, that's the point There's is nothing is. that he could have said in his speech that would have made him happy. He right. is literally... He's just hating to hate. Nancy Hater's going to hate.
1: Nancy says that he's putting on a performance. Like They're all putting on performances. Exactly These right. tweets are performances. Yeah. They are demonstrating that they're still with their base. Like They have to say this stuff. Or else, their base is going to think that they've gone soft, right? Like they're not. They may actually believe it, maybe. But I think their motivation is more to make sure that the voters know that they're still anti-Trump, even though Trump might have had a good night. Yeah, like it's all it's all a performance. And that's a
0: great point. Uh, Pocahontas tweeted, "America isn't prouder when Donald Trump embraces bigotry, hatred, and fear, and calls that patriotism." Okay, uh, Sarah Silverman. <laughs> Is that his Pocahontas? Voice? That's my Pocahontas, his voice. Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. <laughs> I I can do better. I'll do better next time. Uh Sarah Silverman says there's an evil genius in re- rebranding family reunification to the dehumanizing infestation sounding chain migration. Uh What? It's always been called chain migration. That is in legal cir- circles what it's called. Rebranding it as family reunification is the rebranding, Sarah. Um
2: why do they hate America?
0: I don't. Uh, I, well, I don't know that they hate America. They hate Donald Trump.
2: They hate all the symbols for America, at 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 least. Right. Um, they're they're disgusted that we would chant USA. What? Why? Here's here's. Did, did they not have control for the last eight years to implement the changes that they wanted to see in the country? Right. And, and, and just, in one year they hate hearing us chant America. Well, they. I just don't get generalization. Where, why, no, I'm they as in the people on that list that okay. you just read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, why agree. do they hate America so much?
0: I don't know. <laughs> well, I think they are virtuous signaling to the people that they want to be accepted by. I don't think that they hate America. They they love their version of America, which is which is frankly gl- a form of globalism. I mean, as outlined by by uh, uh, Barack, excuse me, Barack Obama. I'm having brain farts like crazy. I'm Hussein, tired of that. Hussein's his middle name. Hussein. Yeah. Um but they are so out of touch with how most Americans perceived that. And the award shows are massively down because they're so out of touch. And the media is exactly in the same place because they're all trying to be friends with each other. And every celebrity is trying to become a political pundit. Jay Z's on Van Jones. And every media, every nerd who's ever written for any publication or is on TV is trying to go to the Academy Awards and have famous friends.
2: There is no truth in media anymore. Well, None.
0: there's different... And there's so much smaller media
2: that you don't know what's true either on right. both scales. though, right. Upper, At the top, you can't trust them at all. And at the bottom, there's so many different views you don't know.
0: I don't know that I... I don't look at it that way. Like, when I read the New York Times, I feel that I'm getting the truth. But oh, I... But but when I... I don't. I don't feel like I'm getting the truth when I watch Sarah Huckabee Sanders. The
2: first thing I think when I read a New York Times article is, is this even true? And I, go, I look up another source. No, like
1: I've said... <laughs> I don't in- think that they're giving out... Inaccurate facts, I think. To it too, they're
0: not giving you the whole story because they don't know right. the whole story. Well, that and plus, it, yes, at, they do.
1: Me, it is impossible to remove bias from any kind of description
0: right. of current events or
1: history or anything. Like it's literally impossible. What we hope is that news that reporters make it, they make a good attempt to make it unbiased. But nowadays, it's actually
0: in vogue to be as biased as possible. You're right. Like, let me give you an example. There's this website called Liberty Hangout, okay? This website and Facebook page is the libertarian version of Gateway Pundit, (laughs) okay? And they have an article claiming that the National Libertarian Party disinvited Ron Paul to their convention. When in reality, the guy who was heading the convention in a private chat message just basically said, no, I'm not really, he's not on my radar, I'm not thinking about it. And they basically created a headline that made it look like, you know, Judge Napolitano and Ron Paul rejected from the Libertarian Party convention. The guy was responding to a private Facebook message. He wasn't all that enthused. He was talking to somebody that basically writes for a website where they make stuff up and do this to people. It wasn't from the stage, it wasn't from Nick Sarwark, it wasn't from any kind of official position. I, I and, oh, wow. and Ron Paul, they don't have the thirty thousand dollars that Ron Paul would have charged them in the first place. So And, and it, it create and that's fake news. Right. That continues that same narrative
2: that libertarians are all infighting. Uh, exactly. And it right. keeps pushing that same thing forward.
0: And it's being pushed by the Mises caucus, who obviously loves Ron Paul and Lou Rockwell. And they have a candidate that is running against Nick Sarwark, and they're trying to make their candidate look like the purest white knight coming in to save the party. And that's an example of somebody who doesn't have any journalistic training, and if they did, they wouldn't have any journalistic integrity. It's like Michael Wolf claiming that Donald Trump and Nikki Haley had an affair. doesn't matter how many times she says that's not true, and it's an incredibly... Misogynistic for you to even keep pushing the idea that I got my position because I slept my way to the top, and oh, where where are all the feminists out there defending Nikki Haley from this guy? Kudos to Magique, uh, what's Brzezinski's name Mika. on Morning Mika Brzezinski for kicking the guy off the show when he would refuse to to backtrack that or at least defend his answer. I mean, it's a it's a just a spurious allegation, and it's really disgusting. But you can say whatever you want, but there is some sort of editorial standard. And does the New York Times always get it right? No. Do they always report the right things? No. But by and large, I read the New York Times every day, and I find a lot of stuff where I go, this is really good journalism. This is the stuff we need to be reading about. They've made an extra push to, to take on drone warfare. You yeah, know, That's we, the kind of stuff we that we want. We
1: can't restrict what we call journalism to... What is more or less editorialism Right Like you know If you're talking about Oh the president Is going to push For some new policy And you're just reporting That they pushed for There's going to push for the new. I mean that's That's fine Like that's just You're basically right. doing C-SPAN's work for them But like w- We we tend to think of That's where journalism stops mm-hmm. um, And And we don't. We exclude things like investigative journalism, just world affairs, like right. talking about things that happen in other countries. Like these are all things that are also talked about. But we don't. When we say that journalism is biased, we're mostly talking about the purely
0: editorial aspect of yeah. it. Which, of course, it's that's the whole point. Right. Like, like CNN. There is no doubt in my mind that CNN is incredibly biased against Donald Trump. They may not be left biased. They are. But they may not be left biased, but they are definitely anti-Trump. And that was probably the first two hours on CNN in two years where there wasn't wall-to-wall Russia coverage. I mean, it it is outrageous how much time they spend on the Russia coverage because it's getting them ratings. If you're watching TV news, you're having your intelligence insulted. Plain Mm -hmm. and simple, if you're watching any form of television news— Local TV news is nothing but the blotter report from the police department that they and weather reports and AP sports reports. There there That's was
2: it. one exception. Did you hear what happened with him?
0: No. Yeah, he's back. Who? Ben Swan. Ben Swan's back. Yeah. He's back. He got $2.3 million from uh, Dashcoin. Yeah. So if he anybody. Could quit, knows, he could
2: quit at that local cable channel <laughs> and make some real investigative news. Someone please
0: <laughs> get me in touch with Dogecoin or Ripple or something. I need to get yeah. in on this crypto stuff. But, but yeah. Good tank today. What? What did Ripple? Uh, Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Yeah, that's it's, fine. It's yeah, it's it's all right. It'll all be good. So let's let's kind of go through what Rob, was... Robinhood launches next week. Yeah, oh, man, I and love you Don't Robin have to Hood. go through
2: Coinbase anymore. Listen, guys, it's down thirteen hundred. It's gonna. I hope it 20s. keeps going down and
0: going down. <laughs> here's if here's Ethereum's what I was down, and so is like. I can point. buy more of it. I'm going. <laughs> here's what I'm going to 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 ask of you: if you want to get your savings right, if you want to get your investing right, please. I'm going to put in the show notes Dash or no, Stash, Digit, and Robinhood affiliate links. And you sign up for these services. If you're going to sign up for Robinhood, if you're going to sign up for Stash, you're going to sign up for Digit. I recommend all three. Please use my link so I can get free money. It costs <laughs> you nothing, it gives me money. It's a great way to support me. I love Digit. I'm saving up money to go to LibertyCon for Students for Liberty. Uh, and I'm using uh, Digit to do that because it's just a basic savings account. Love, I would greatly appreciate the help that that cost you nothing. You'll start saving money, and I love Stash. Like I've, I've saved like three hundred dollars with these two apps alone. Uh, so, anyways, uh, let's go ahead, Colt. No, no. It's let's g- let's get into the actual meat of the speech. Uh, the uh, the Daily Signal out of all the sites f- had the best breakdown of kind of everything. That it's like. 16 pages here. Uh, we're not going to read everything, but it, it's a really good guide as to what was talked about. Uh, and they had the policy people at the Heritage Foundation kind of break uh, break things down for us. So we're going to go through some of the highlights here and give you an idea of what was in the speech in case you're like Creighton and didn't listen to it. What? Uh, yeah. Excuse me. Um, uh, first up, so it, you can break it down into... Basic sections, economy, law, immigration, defense and foreign policy, energy and infrastructure, healthcare and education. Uh, tax reform is delivering results was basically what he started with. And uh, talking about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was providing tremendous r- relief for people. 260 businesses across all industries announced raises, bonuses, and new investments benefiting 3 million Americans. Next month, American workers will get a bigger paycheck thanks to... Tax reform. Woo! Yeah, yeah, we can all be for that. Um, yes, we can. So, it's we, re- we know we wouldn't have had that with anybody else. It's well, I don't know about that. It's re- expected to result in hundreds of thousands of new jobs and wage increases. Uh, these expire in twenty twenty six. These individual and business tax cuts. So, eh, a, but aster- they're not going to asterisk. Right. They expire. They're it's a great gonna, time to be alive. <laughs> they're not going to expire. It's like the Patriot Act is sunset. Yeah. Okay. We'll be 85. And Patriot the Patriot
2: Act did sunset, and then it was just replaced by something else. Right. <laughs> that's, what he's, that's what he's saying. Yeah.
1: They're going to extend them, or they're going to just get enough people in the Senate to override that uh, Senate that's rule. That's the that
2: one thing rule. I'm liking about how Trump does this stuff, though. He is following the Constitution. He's not just passing everything with executive orders like Obama did. Mm-hmm. Obama did most of his immigration reform through executive orders. Trump says, I'm going to Congress. This is how it's supposed to be done. This is who I'm going to. And he defers
0: to Congress for all these things. It helps when you have a Republican House and a Republican Senate. We'll see how that works yeah. out in about that was nine months.
1: Obama, Obama also went to Congress in his first year in office. Yeah, very good
0: for a year. <laughs> uh, so most Americans <laughs> will receive a tax cut. He talked about the Joneses. They have three kids and a mortgage as a sales rep and part-time nurse. They currently earn $75,000 a year. Under the new bill, they will keep an extra $2,000 of their money. I don't
1: remember where I was watching this. I think it was Reason, but it might have been a different uh news outlet. Um they went to all of these various groups of various economic right. strata and asked they had an accountant basically go over all of their stuff and see what they would get under the new tax reform and everybody, every one of them had to pay less. Yeah. All of the, like even the like the 100k per married couple, you know, they make like 200k and then the one that made like millions, like all of them the poor guy, the middle class, the upper middle class, all of them—they yep. all had to pay less. And a lot of them were like, "Wow, I was under the impression that I was going to have to pay more here." Or, right? And all this stuff, you know, I'm I'm relatively wealthy. Because they this, listen to the media, yeah. Right. And like and, every single one of them.
0: And I was. think that's why this was a a big win for Trump and the best night of his presidency because it was him unfiltered. People were hearing him. He did a great, he had great showmanship. Well, he's and, always unfiltered, and he was relishing being clapped by the people that he wants to so desperately like him. I mean he wants those people to love him so badly and- it's, it's
2: great seeing him unfiltered because just like that Peterson video and how they always they kept cutting it to make it fit their narrative and and how they would use her summaries of what he answered to make it the, the you know the summary videos look like that right they can't do that to his speech when you listen to the whole thing yeah but you catch that stuff later and people have different opinions of it later. That should be well, some research that somebody does. Initial reactions and then like weekly la- or like a day or two yeah. later reactions of people just reading it
0: from the news. And I
2: bet that's completely different. Like on the whole scale.
0: Thank you for extending I was yawning Galt. Good job. Uh, <laughs> I, I waved at it. I was like, go, go, I'm yawning. Um, I'm just tired this week. I d di- I didn't have much of a weekend. So all right. Tom Wong is a teacher, earns 50000 About 10% of that goes to taxes. Under the new bill, he will expect $1,100 in savings. More than 80% of Americans receive a tax cut. Fernandez family... Owns a blinds and shades business will get a tax cut. Corporate tax rate. Their hard work paid off, and their company earned two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Now they can invest an extra thirteen thousand dollars in their business. From
2: thirty five percent to twenty one percent right. corporate tax rate. That is unbelievable. Yeah, is it, that's that's where everybody. That's all, huge. On the
1: left, that's if if you talk about if you look at the narrative of the tax reform immediately during and after its passage, it was that the rich were going to get the tax cuts, and all of everybody else is going to have to pay more. And taxes and then everybody's like actually you're misinterpreting the data that's wrong and they read in a lot of media outlets changed their tune on that and they said it was some bad like It wasn't necessarily factually incorrect, but it was one specific circumstance that was not indicative of everybody's experience underneath the new tax reform. Right. Um, So they stopped saying that, and then they said, well, now the story was – and this was uh, more because of House and Senate Democrats than the media per se, but the media definitely ran with it – was that the corporate tax does not – the corporate tax cut does not sunset – whereas the individual tax cut does sunset, and that really tells you where the Republicans' priorities are. Mm-hmm. They're with the corporations. They're making their tax cut permanent, and your tax cut ends. And it's like, well, and actually, the reason that that happened was because there's a rule in the Senate that you need 60 votes to make any kind of individual tax cut be permanent. So, what they did was they didn't get enough Democrats to support the tax cuts that would have made those individual tax cuts permanent, and only the corporate Tax cut had the had the requisite votes, or the Senate rule was not (laughs) built around that. Democrat support. (laughs) Well, I don't know if the the rule applied to corporate tax cuts like the individual tax cut. So it might have been that might have been the difference. But regardless, the reason that it wasn't permanent was not because of some sort of right wing conspiracy to bring individuals under the thumb of corporations more. It was actually because the Democrats were just so opposed to any kind of tax reform that they didn't support it at the level that was necessary to bypass this Senate rule, which is just a Senate rule that was passed, parliamentary procedure at some point in the past, and they it's still on the books. It's just a Senate rule. So it was a Senate rule that made this happen. That means that a, the only reason was because not enough Democrats supported So, right. But that's still the narrative and right. and uh but it it's 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 really telling though. I mean it's and and frankly it's it's very
2: it's really easy to create absurd. those false narratives. Yeah. But
1: but the corporate the corporate tax rate to its to its credit is a double tax. Right. Right? You know, like we all we all talk about, you know, how everything? Well, I mean, technically, everything's an income tax. Eventually, like, eventually, you get your income taxed. Yeah. Um, but the corporate tax rate is another is one where you re- raise corporate taxes. You basically just reduce the amount that they produce because you give them more cost of doing business, and you have less stuff, and th- so their stuff costs more. So they right. they pass the cost onto their workers and onto consumers more than they do anything else. So yeah, reduce the corporate tax. You're actually going to help out consumers, but
2: and workers. And that is a, the biggest highlight of Trump's amazing speech. Workers, American
0: workers. Is it annoying how much he likes Trump? I know.
2: You? I don't. Whoa, whoa! Where did that come from?
0: You're just very happy about about Trump, and like he didn't talk about
2: the Fed. He didn't reduce spending. I know. Like it's not perfect. I don't like yeah. the wall.
0: Well, he didn't.
1: He didn't. Say, he didn't say that he was a messiah. He said that you're treating like he's the awesome.
2: I'm just not. I, I just don't get all the hate.
0: Here, here's the thing. All right. Here's where I. I agree with you because I'm listening to a bunch of libertarian podcasts today. I'm trying to see how did the libertarian podcaster universe uh, respond to President Trump's State of the Union. And, A, none of them do it very well because none of them follow politics like we follow politics. Jason Stapleton may be the closest in terms of following politics because he does a daily show. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of them don't understand politics fundamentally because they're mostly professors or people who just kind of work other jobs. you know. And having been involved in media and politics for 15 years, I understand how politics works. I follow the news daily, uh, the ups and downs of it for 20 years. And so you kind of have a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And so these guys just kind of fall back on typical anti-government cliches. And you just go, this is why this is just really boring and really disappointing. And here's the thing about the State of the Union yeah, it is monarchical BS and it is kind of a waste of time and it is silly, but this is when people who are normies dip their toe in the water. They think, Oh, it's like the church and Easter crowd for, <laughs> for Sunday. You know, like the, the Christians that go on Christmas Eve and Easter, this is when normies who are kind of involved in politics and reading the news, and they go, I should probably spend five minutes of my day reading the news. This is when they watch the the State of the Union, and then they go, you know what, I wonder what libertarians think of this. And then they tune in and they get, well, he shouldn't have done a speech because there should be no government. I don't
1: know if any normies are saying that.
0: Uh, my point is, is I wonder how right. any libertarians yeah. think about this.
2: Right, <laughs> but
0: they're probably like, oh that was nice. Yeah, this and is us. As
2: Gary honor. Johnson doesn't even know what a state of the union is. Right,
0: <laughs> so y- you forgot me there. But it, it is one of those things where like they kind of it's an opportunity for you to apply libertarian principles or at least explain politics to people, and you're kind of failing, and it's it's a real missed opportunity, and it. <laughs> Like the people who oh, I just hate the State of the Union. I hate that this is this is ridiculous. I hate Donald Trump. I guess I kinda like this tax cut thing though. <laughs> and you listen to a lot of these libertarian podcasts that are like I know I'm supposed to hate Donald Trump and I know I'm supposed to not like Republicans or Democrats, but I kinda like that twenty one million people don't have to hire an attorney next year to fill out their taxes. You know, they're like (laughs) there's like this begrudging acknowledgement that there are some things that are going on that are good and I don't get it. Like because there, dem- it's been one year. A Democrat. That's why
2: I'm kind of uh, hopeful about it. It's been one year. This is the most progress I've ever seen in one year in, out of Washington.
0: Like there, you can you can like some things about Donald Trump's policies. There are things about Barack Obama I think I complimented Barack Obama once on the show. And the things we don't like
2: about him right now. <laughs> okay. Right, I hear you. But uh, like we'll get to some spending of, yeah. and, and the and the wall and stuff. It's like. Or the Federal Reserve. North Korea. Stuff like that. There's, later he has, in the speech he may, get he to has at least three more years to, to deal with some of those issues. Right. In two years, if he brings up the Fed, are you going to listen to that speech?
0: Maybe, but I don't think he will. No. I mean, honestly, just seeing Nancy Pelosi and Democrats cry last night was kind of a treat. Well, you can't take down the Fed,
2: secret powers of the Fed without first taking down the secret powers of the intelligence community,
0: and that is exactly what he's doing right now. It's, we'll, we'll get to the memo in, in, at the end of this, but yeah, so he's going to simplify the tax code uh, so less people have to hire accountants. Uh, no individual tax mandate tax. Uh, so basically, the uh, Obama the individual mandate's gone. Exactly right. You don't. You aren't forced to buy. He basically called it a tax. He used the John Roberts uh, test and basically said uh, – no, John Roberts said it wasn't a tax, right? right. They, they said it was a, ta- it was a tax. Obama okay.
1: and company and the government, the the attorney, whoever was arguing on behalf of the government and, and the Supreme Court, they were saying that it was a fee, but they were allowed to make it a fee. Right. And, and John Roberts said, well, no, it's a tax, and that's how we're going to save it.
0: Right. Like <laughs> They yeah. basically okay. basically completely rewrote the law just so that it wouldn't go away. Right. Right uh government reorganization he highlighted that he's uh done a lot of things to quote unquote restore the bonds of trust between our citizens and their government good luck you're like the last person that is qualified to do that no 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 second to last the last was hillary uh <laughs> so heritage responded to the president's executive order to reorganize the federal government by producing two comprehensive reports uh that would be probably worth your time um Things like cross-cutting government reforms, making federal compensation more competitive with private sector and reducing red tape, and more than 100 individual proposals to cut waste duplication inefficiencies and unnecessary Unnecessary federal functions. I'm I do not want federal compensation to be more competitive with private. I, no. Yeah, it just leads to monopolies. And I apologize, I'm having such a hard time talking tonight. My I tongue... love that that's been a focus of Trump's administration, though, cutting
2: back those those roadblocks for businesses, big and and yeah. small, and so that they can operate more efficiently, save money. Pass that on to consumers and employees. It's, I, will, it's, I will give him it's credit for really, his really and, he, yeah. and he's really, it's real action too. It's like that he sent people out to these businesses to meet with them. You saw even, la- well, I think it was yesterday when he was on the news talking with some of them, but he's been doing this for a while with lots of businesses. Right. A lot, and, a lot and he's of- like, tell me, list the things out. That are in your way with the government, like tell me the things, and then he'll come back. He comes back to him with a plan, and like these are the things that we can probably do, help with. Yeah, and it, and there's real action there, and it's yeah. just uh, I, there's lots of businesses I've been reading about where they've never seen action from an administration right. like this before. Where yeah. usually they'll they'll talk to him or or tell him things, but they'll never take the the, the follow up and, and actually
0: and do it. With Barack Obama, there was always an uncertainty of what the government might do yeah. because he might place a regulation on you. Yeah,
1: and that was his that was his way to address all of these
0: societal yeah, ills. Right. Punish
1: right. it. Make another punish bureaucrat it. take gives right. give other bureaucrats some power. And and frankly, I will say if there's one thing I can say that I have 100 percent all of this no shame support for Trump on it's the federal regulation thing. Yeah. Like, he has done a lot to get rid of – to, to bring down the register, and that's that's really good because outside of the fact that a lot of times regulations are in and of themselves cronyist, yeah. um, which a lot of people on the left don't like to admit, but regulations are not written by politicians. They're written by – uh, by uh, a lot of times, by the actual lobbyists that are lobbying for them, um, well, for
0: big businesses to keep small competitors right. out of the marketplace, and, and that
1: and that's that's a big reason for a lot of regulations. So, if even if you ignore that aspect of it and say we'll just look at just the burden of following them, you know, just dumb stuff that you know maybe one thing went wrong one time 30 years ago they passed a regulation to prevent that from ever happening again and it never actually would have happened again regardless and now but you still have all this red tape you have to follow that's expensive so i mean yeah it it makes business harder to do you have to hire a lawyer just so you know if you've broken a law or not right um and and it gets rid of frankly anti-competitive anti-free market aspects of the
0: regulations, the motivation for them. Again, the the, uh, cronyist aspect. It's absolutely a step in the right direction. Uh, uh, This next part is, there's two different philosophies. There's the Barack Obama philosophy, the democratic philosophy of the the government is basically good and it's filled with hardworking people and it's filled with uh, a lot of things that are taken care of. Barack Obama wanted to protect bureaucracy, from the forces, the evil forces of the Republicans. Donald Trump, I think, more than any one of those 16 candidates that would have gotten elected, could care less about bureaucrats and is trying to actively root them out. He's like a termite, he's eating it from the inside. And so we can applaud that. And, and uh,
1: something that's worth noting, and this is something that I think Ludwig von Mises wrote about, is that bureaucracy is self perpetuating. Right. There's, there's not, you, you don't understand bureaucracy. I think it was, uh, Thomas Sowell who said something I'm paraphrasing and I'm probably butchering it but you don't understand bureaucrats until you understand the only thing bureaucrats care about care about is process and not results. Right. And that's that's the whole thing. It's like bureaucrats are if they if, if they fix the problem they're supposed to fix they're not needed. Yeah. And <laughs> so you can realize the incentive is backwards there. Like right. their their existence relies on the problem and their existence is more profound if there are more problems. Mm-hmm. So, a bureaucrat lobbying for more regulations is like, "Oh, well, they they're there. They see the problems. They like, no, they're probably
0: inventing problems." Yeah. <laughs> so, a bureaucrat is a self-perpetuating machine. And I wouldn't qual- I wouldn't qualify Barack Obama as a good leader. Uh, and he was really in a lot of ways lead bureaucrat <laughs> for those 8 years. I wouldn't qualify Donald Trump as a good leader either, hmm. but at least he's hostile to bureaucrats and he's doing everything he can to remove them, he said to... Was,
2: was Bush a good leader?
0: Yes. Okay. I think he was. At, at the beginning, he was. Uh, sure. Yeah, I think during okay. the... Right after 9-11, he was uh, probably yeah. the most presidential president we've ever had. Yeah, I think that was the... Uh, I think that was the period when he was a good leader. I think his judgment on Iraq was Yeah, his Iraq war abysmal. was when he went... Pfft. Yeah, uh, he he not only made the wrong decision in going to Iraq, but he also operated the war at that period in a very poor manner uh, and I think if you look at the ISIS result you see Donald Trump has put the right people in in place to you know if you're listen as a non-interventionist we shouldn't be there but if we're going to have uh, the destruction of ISIS Jim, Jimmy Mad Dog Matus has been better than David Petraeus was or McChrystal before sure, him so sure. yeah so in that respect, Trump has has been a good judge of, uh, by all accounts. Mattis is very well liked and one of the most popular people to ever serve at the DOD and in the military, and isn't one of these guys who is. I get the sense in reading about Matus that he is one of those people who doesn't want to go to war, like he's actively trying to avoid wars, you know. And you it did seems, not. It you, seems like, which is yeah. ironic, given that his his. Yeah. Uh, his nickname is Mad Dog. Well, he's, he's also called the Warrior Monk, and he's very well educated. Matus is a fascinating character to read up on, and I think if we stay out of wars, it's largely because of Jimmy Matus. I don't think you had that in Tommy Franks and some of the other people that we had during the Bush administration. I think you had people that were really pushing him to go to war in Paul Wolfowitz and Dick Cheney and uh, Donald Rumsfeld, and these were the same people who fucked up uh, Vietnam. You know, so these these people shouldn't have been advising George W. Bush, and that in and of itself is a failure of leadership. But in the days after 9/11, I think it's it's uh, hard not to think that he was a good leader during that period. If you were if you were cognizant, I mean, I was 18 and I was weeping at every George Bush speech <sighs> in that period. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, because I was just a mess. But
2: you can never prepare for those things. You can't.
0: No, I mean, there's no school to teach you how to be president on 9-11. Tomorrow. Right. God forbid. Um, so reforming the federal workforce, Congress should respond to the president's call, they write, to, quote-unquote, empower every cabinet secretary with the authority to reward good workers and to remove federal employees who undermine the public trust or fail the American people. Um, Rachel Gresler of the Heritage <laughs> Foundation writes, removing a federal employee should not be tantamount to a criminal prosecution and take well over a year to complete. It should be less burdensome to remove federal employees, and the federal government should become more competitive and result in three hundred billion dollars in taxpayer savings over a decade. I don't believe that you can run a government like business. Business and government are two completely different things. They operate on completely different signals. Yep, yeah, but
1: they're, they're, they're fundamentally not trying to do the
0: same things. Right, but you should be able to remove people. Um, he yeah, talks it
1: should be easier to fire and hire, for right. Sure,
2: especially FBI.
0: Yeah. When we talk about the memo, never mind, we'll wait, I'll wait through the memo. Uh, all right, so sizing down the administrative state on Tuesday, Trump said that his administration has eliminated more regulations during its four years in <laughs> office than any prior administration in history. Now, Trump said that, so let's not take that to the bank. Yep. I did not verify before that. you go any further. So <laughs> far,
2: does this not sound like the most libertarian president in history? <laughs> so
0: far. In history, no. I don't know about it. in history. Uh, I'm, I'm ignorant of what World James II, K. Polk know. did, but since War, World War II, it, at I don't least know. over the last maybe. fifty years, yeah, I'd say out of okay. out of out of Bush and Obama, definitely, maybe, yeah, maybe probably. But we're
2: still only first. You didn't want to give that to me last week. That's why I'm asking.
0: Uh, well, <laughs> we're about to get to the little non-libertarian. Trying, things. Oh yeah, like, I know. That's why it. I stopped. You, were, you were also <laughs> you also weren't just talking about achievements. You were talking about stated goals as well, right? Uh, long-standing criticism of the administrative state is that it imposes unduly burdensome cost in the American economy it, through the issuance of blizzard of unnecessary rules that stifle investment and reduce employment. In 2015 alone, the Obama administration imposed more than $22 billion in annual cost on the nation. During the presidential campaign in the first year of his administration, uh, Trump made it clear that they need to address that problem. He's tried to carry out this reform in two ways. First, he appointed Mick Mulvaney to head the Office of Management and Budget, which that is
1: that is a good yeah. Mick Mulvaney. Even great before this, he was he was he was a liberty like a Liberty Caucus right. guy. That guy is good. Yeah, he's not great on the Fed, but overall, that dude is really good. So that in and of it, frankly, if there's anything that's as far as what he's done, that's probably the most long standing. It's gonna
0: it's appointments. Yeah. Other than Jeff Sessions, his appointments have been really good. Yep, I agree. Uh, He also appointed Naomi Rao to head the Office of Information Regulatory Affairs. Together, they see their mission as implementing the president's goal of eliminating unnecessary regulations. Second, Trump issued a series of executive orders directed at senior agency officials to aggressively review the effects of the excessive federal agency regulations. Have had on economic growth, and to eliminate unnecessary rules, to ensure that agencies do not act in ultra virus manner. I, that must be a typo, and to respect the values of federalism, and to always measure and be guided by the costs and benefits of any rule an agency cont- considers. Third, an additional step in his regulatory reform, uh, Trump signed 15 congressional joint resolutions passed under the Congressional Review Act of 1996. Those joint resolutions nullified agency rules promulgated during the last year of Obama's administration, or in one case in 2017, by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau.
1: Did he get rid of that completely, or just...
0: No, he basically made it a zombie organization. He put Mulvaney in charge of it, and Mulvaney's, you know... Yeah, because and that's if that they up. said.
1: Oh, hey, how can we deal with the financial crisis? Back in 2008, Obama took over. Well, how can we do? Well, we'll, we'll make a new department that is in charge of making sure that right. you don't, like now, that's always your solution is just, oh, we just need another department. We need another <laughs> we need right. some more
0: bureaucrats. So we're one bureaucrat away from utopia. So <laughs> now we start to get into the stuff that we're not crazy about. Uh, he's been inconsistent on trade. First year of the Trump administration, the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank, writes, has seen more towards uh, movement toward economic freedom than most proponents of liberal government. Pro-growth policies had hoped for. However, the trade policy and rhetoric of the past year runs counter to these job-creating trends.
2: Protectionism. Yeah. Uh,
0: so he... So they say, for instance, suppose a foreign company builds an oil processing facility on a barge in Houston. If the facility and its jobs is towed away to another country, the value of the facility counts as an export and shipping the barge away tilts the balance of trade towards a surplus. If instead the facility is permanently moored in Houston, it adds to our foreign debt. For most people, trade surplus sounds better than foreign debt. In both cases, our hypothetical example: a foreign company paid for something made by Americans. But in the worst-sounding case, the permanent operating jobs stay in the U.S. Uh, so trade deficits are meaningless, right? And I,
1: I say that knowing that every economist is going to be like, <laughs> but, 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 like the balance of trade is always technically equal, mm-hmm. um, unless you print money, um, and then there is technically a surplus. Uh, and but that goes away when the when the money gets out and, and the money val the value of the dollar. Changes. We always print money, but like I know. But what I'm when my point is is that to to put on my economist hat is that you know there's always going to be a net. Uh, this is something you can very easily see in a book like uh, Economics in One Lesson, which I don't know if I've uh, if I've ever mentioned to that one before. <laughs> we all have um, a million times. But right? uh, <laughs> but that one basically the balance of trade. uh, is always going to be more or less equal because unless again there's more money printing because you know if you buy uh chinese goods then what does the chinese guy have dollars right. what are they going to buy off dollars they're going to buy american goods i mean that's a simplification but you can imagine that all that happens is the hands in between you buying the chinese good there's a bunch of hands there's there's a bunch more steps there's a much more people it has to go through mm-hmm. but ultimately it all comes down to your tra- money doesn't actually represent anything but past production. So when you buy stuff from another country, you're trading them goods that you've produced, and they're trading you goods that you've produced. Right. And you know if you think about it that way, there is no net, there is no trade deficit more more or less. You're just trading goods. Mm-hmm. You just have to remember that money represents past production. Again, printing money, re- 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 if the Fed just printed a million dollars and bought some Chinese good. They're actually going to work in out better at the end, because the, by the time the Chinese start spending all that money, it's going to actually become devalued, and they're going to be able to get less with that than we were able to get from them. Right. But after they've done that, and the value of the dollar evens out, it comes back to this parity thing. So trade deficits, which Trump likes to talk about, and economists in general, I think like to talk about, maybe I'm radical for saying that the trade deficit doesn't matter, because technically it does in a political sense, but... uh it, it ultimately, economically speaking, doesn't matter. Right, and you know if you're a free trade guy, then you have to. You, those mercantilism, what back during uh, pre Adam Smith days was one of their big things was about the balance of the net balance of payments. They wanted more gold in their country than out of it, right? Because they, they fundamentally didn't understand what trade was, and that's that's really what a, somebody talked about trade deficit is doing. They don't really know. What trade is?
0: Why are you laughing, Galt? I just like listening just, to crazy talk sometimes. The autism flowing out <laughs> it of his just mouth. kept going. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> it great. It was like though. three stories
2: in a row. I know. It was like, <laughs> can he not
0: can he not move to New York? This is great. <laughs> this is this is uh, they were all relevant. They were yeah, they all related. Were, they Absolutely. Were yeah. Uh <laughs> he's going to seek a UK US trade agreement. Ooh, good. Um, good. Briefly mentioned, which is ironic that it was briefly, uh, about pointing excellent originalist judges. Oh yeah. Uh that he's remaking the judiciary to the to date the Senate has confirmed thirteen courts of appeals judges more than any US president in history. Uh Trump- oh, on judges. Did you see today that there was uh there <laughs> this was on reason? So you had to cut
2: him off for yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, because there uh,
0: <laughs> did he, he appointed Alito, right? Uh no, that was Bush. Okay. No, are you No, sure? it was it was yeah, yeah, Rogers yeah. and Alito. Okay. Yeah.
1: So uh Gorsuch uh he there so there's a case in front of the supreme court right now um that they're taking arguments and I'm going to butcher the facts of this case but more or less comes down to a woman or a guy uh, somebody rented a car and then they let their friend drive the car without actually having them on the rental agreement and that guy got pulled over and they searched his uh, searched the car, and they found heroin and some guns in the trunk. And the guy who drove the car is basically—it's all with Supreme Court now. They wanted to throw it out, saying that they didn't have a warrant to search his car, and he didn't give. And because so, they have to throw all that evidence out. And the government's like, "Well, it wasn't actually—he wasn't on the rental agreement, and all this—and like, so he doesn't have the rights to that property. And so there's this argument going on amongst a, Gorsuch and Alito, right? As to what definition of property right are we allowed to interpret here? Gorsuch wants to say that Fourth Amendment rights apply to anyone to, uh, to whom has a title to the property, even if it isn't like explicit. So, like the person who actually owned the property was the rental company, but right. they gave title to the person to drive the car. Right. That person did not give any physical title to this guy to drive it, but Gorsuch wants to say he still has the Fourth Amendment right to say you can't search this vehicle because right. I am currently. Basically, if you have control over property at a given moment, you have ownership over it's it. Transfer it until, of ownership. Fi- finders keepers. Yeah. Until until someone who has a better claim to that ownership
2: comes back comes along. So back. if
1: that girl with the uh, came along or the rental company came along, they'd say, "No, you get out of the car. It's our car." Right. But he was there, and they. So Gorsuch wants to say that this property ownership exists. And yes. Alito does not, because this would be in, this would be a new definition of property under Fourth Amendment law, as far as I can understand mm. how the how the case is turning out. And this would actually throw out a lot of other types of these cases, and they would it would be a very very big interpretive step for defining property rights. And Alito knows that, and he doesn't like it for some reason. Yeah. And Gorsuch does. So because- if you're a law nerd, that's something to. To
0: watch because Clarence Thomas, Scalia, and Gorsuch now uh, always were very strict originalists, and I always got the sense from Alito and Roberts that they were always going to go liberal the longer they were on the court. Mm-hmm. And those were both Bush, Bush picks, uh, so yeah, Gorsuch is definitely a huge win. I mean, somebody who's been published in the Cato Journal. I mean, he's yeah, big big win, and for libertarians. Yeah, and he needs to he needs to uh, he needs to completely fill as many spots as he can. And I think that the reason Trey Gowdy is resigning from Congress is that Trey Gowdy, who is a, a who is a jurist at heart, wants to be appointed to one of these court appeal courts or yeah. you know, some something else maybe that Supreme won't be Court. Bad. Yeah, Ooh, um,
1: Judge Napolitano for Supreme Court. <laughs> yes, there was talks of it <laughs>
0: um, with the appointment of judges like Neil Gorsuch, Amy Barrett. Uh, David Strauss and others he has done this flawlessly with more than 160 vacancies the president work is far from done Um, he definitely appoints constitutionalist judges uh, people that respect property rights as as libertarians he also wants to protect um, let me just read this because this is great President Trump correctly praised the constitutionalist judges he has appointed appointed and continues to appoint. He he also highlighted the defense of the right to bear arms under the Second Amendment and protection of religious liberty under the First Amendment. Things that we like as libertarians. Uh, This is something that I I (laughs) liked. Uh, Trump focused on economic policies that are creating an economic boom that benefits everyone, embracing workforce development, and enabling everyone to realize their full potential. Therefore, he rightfully addressed legal reform that would better prepare convicted criminals to return to society, as 95% of all convicted offenders do, to lead law-abiding, prosperous lives. As America regains its strength, he said, it is important for Congress to tackle prison reform in order to help former inmates who have served in their time to get a second chance at life. The Trump administration should work with Congress to incentivize Eligible convicted individuals to participate in mentoring, job skills, training, addiction, treatment, and other recidivism reduction programs, the Heritage Foundation says. And First I agree. First
1: step is get rid of drug laws.
0: Absolutely. It Like, later on in the speech, he talked about MS-13. And you know why MS-13 and the Latin Kings were formed? Is because illegal immigrants were put into California prisons based on low-level drug offenses. They were thrown into prisons with black gangs and white gangs. And... As in self protection, they formed MS13 and the Latin Kings. It
1: was yeah, it was a it was a prison gang. It was and it created bird in prison.
0: All of those different gangs are fueled by the drug war. Yeah, and then when they get they finish their time, they get shipped back to El Salvador, Guatemala, all these Central American countries, and now you have narco states in these Central American countries because the, these gang members went back to their home country where they had no roots, and they're. And now they run the countries. And they're they're vicious. They're they're as vicious as the Colombian cartels as Escobar was. They are like psychopaths. Right.
1: And I'm not just saying like, oh, they're interested in their own self-interest and they want to make money. Like, like you look at them crossways, they'll cut your head off. Yeah. And they'll show your
0: family and they'll kill your grandma. Like, they're crazy. And so you know what happens? Now they're all trying – now the peaceful people of El Salvador and Guatemala – Are trying to immigrate here to get out of that situation, to get away from the gangs that our drug war created, and then now we're going to shut the door on them. So, Americans' policy towards drugs is asinine, and it is—it's not only ruining so many lives in this country; it's ruining entire countries south of us. Like, if even if we let's let's ignore—if we look solely at the.
1: if we if we if if we look at how drugs are bad, like what is the best reason for people to not smoke, to not do drugs? It's because they're bad. Drugs are bad. Uh, they're bad for you. They they break families up. They they cause they addiction, and they do. They, but if we let's say let's, granted, all right, granted, drugs are horrible. Um, they're not more horrible than the crime that prohibiting drugs has created. Exactly right. And that's fundamentally to me a cost benefit analysis that I don't think. It should ever be ignored, and I think is ignored um, to a large extent. I mean, and and even if if we go past that, the criminalization of drugs has created a problem amongst using that just creates epidemics, Mm -hmm. like the opioid crisis is. I mean, I'm not an expert on this stuff, so take my what I'm saying with a grain of salt. But I would not be surprised if the opioid crisis, in and of itself, could you could say fundamentally, it is a result of the the criminalization of drugs. Right. Like the opioids themselves are probably illegal to a large extent. I don't know how many of them are actually (laughs) got through prescription, but like the fact that they can't like smoke weed. It induces them to do harder drugs, right? Like there's a, they've made those connections.
0: No, the the once once the Nixon administration, which Ehrlichman freely admits that to win re-election in '72, they couldn't criminalize being a leftist or a black, so they criminalized drugs. Yes. So then they could target black communities, black activists. This is and liberals. quotes from this
1: Nixon is, administration.
0: Like yes. this is actually on the record. His quotes. chief of staff, yeah, basically saying. And so once once they started cutting uh, cutting down pot users. Then cocaine rose up, so then they, Reagan started going after cocaine users, then crack popped up, then they started going after crack, and then meth popped up, and then they started going after that, and then you had the opioid addiction that we have now. I mean, it's, it is a never-ending cycle of stupidity that we've got to get out of at some point.
1: And I mean, it's great that that all these
0: states are starting to legalize. Dude, here in Indiana, they just are about to legalize CBD oil after yes. a one-year, uh, and their and, and they're,
2: industrialized hemp. You industrialized listen, hemp. We're you are going to drive past a cornfield now and see hemp plants growing there.
0: Listen, that is going to happen if you are in Indiana. Gene Leasing Jim, Jim Lucas, Gene Lysing is the Senate. Republican And Jim Lucas is the house. Right. But, no, she is the one who will end up stopping this. I was talking to the Boss Hog of Liberty, who is represented by Lysing, and basically she is not in favor of the bill. And if she's not in favor of the bill, the bill's not going anywhere. So if you want industrialized hemp that could completely, radically change the fortune of Hoosier farmers, where they can get three cash crops a year instead of one— then please contact Lysing's office and say I'm a Hoosier and I'm I'm for industrialized hemp. It's not pot. It was outlawed because somebody who owned paper interest wanted to outlaw it and used their newspapers to ban you know reefer madness. Cronyism. It's cronyism.
1: But yep. uh it's again, and I've probably mentioned this before on the show, um, that the fact that California, Washington, Vermont now, all of these various states that have legalized medically and rec- recreational drug use, mm-hmm. marijuana use, that is an outright rebellion. Yeah, It really is. Like It is still illegal. It's a Schedule One narcotic on the federal level. It's still illegal. And the fact that they are going, they're basically just throwing their hands on, like, I don't even care. We're yeah.
2: doing what we want. And now they've done it to two administrations in a row. That is. Yeah. What administration is going to stand up and stop them or support them? I can't, That's what is it? Which way is Trump going to go? If, oh, in he's Trump, already
1: he's already said. Jeff Sessions is. Sessions said that has said. Yeah, but Trump you know, can stop Sessions. Yeah, maybe. Mm. But
2: but regardless, <laughs> this guy,
1: or this 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 situation is straight up. I mean, it's nullification, frankly. Right. Um. But even if you don't want to call it that, it is absolutely in opposition to the concept of federal supremacy of law. Like right. the law on the federal level is that marijuana is illegal. The state law is that it's not. The states are letting people do it in the state when the feds say you shouldn't be allowed to do this by federal law. Like it's it's right. amazing to me, and 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 the people now now the people who are supporting the most for keeping it illegal that they, they're basically supporting. Their anti-state's rights
0: is the right, right? Like, it's it, it makes no sense because they just can't. It's they're beholden to boomers who think that drugs are bad. Okay, uh, so giving inmates a second chance, something that we're all for. Uh, Now we get to immigration. Uh, So he called for an end to chain migration, which is basically you know your nuclear family. If you immigrate here, you get accepted here. You can bring your nuclear family. That's but he claimed that you could bring cousins and aunts, and that's not true. Uh, That was that would take. I think they, they they some lawyer posted about how long it would take. Well, he was effort. also
2: saying you could just marry someone and then bring them with you. Right. And then he wouldn't allow that anymore. Uh, and the divers- because that's how people are getting around it. That, it's a common theme in movies. I mean, you marry someone so they can live here.
0: He also Uh-oh. wants to end the diversity lottery where, listen, we have too many Brits and we need more Pakistanis, so just let a, a person for Pakistan in. Obviously, Donald Trump would be fundamentally uh, the diversity lotteries help bring brown people here so he's not in favor of it. <sighs> Uh, the u s immigration system gave out seventy two percent of its green card or, or in... wh- why, why do we have to look at it that way because that's the way that it is why, why can't it be when you... this is this is choosing
2: Go. certain minorities instead of choosing people as individuals and that is why we should not want this policy. What
0: about the diversity lottery is about choosing individuals? It's about choosing people from certain countries to meet diversity quotas right First off, second of all, second off, when you really boil down, the right's argument for building a wall, it is to keep brown people out. They don't want to build the wall for it's to Norway. Keep anyone out. They want to keep no. people no. You're not building not a true. wall
1: between the United States and, Canada. and Pakistan or yeah, or Canada. Canada. You're
0: building between the United States and Mexico. It's easier for the Canadians literally while we were doing this podcast, the Canadians are changing their national anthem to be more gender neutral. If, if... Okay, they're more likely to let terrorists in on the northern border <laughs> into Canada than the Mexicans are. If so, if you're going to make a national security argument, the the diversity-loving Canadians are much more friendly to people from Chechnya. Are do you, do you than think Mexicans that Trump's
2: a, a, against building a wall all the way around America? <laughs> That's a good point. You got me. <laughs> if you want him you to, he's going to do it. He will. It's going to be a beautiful wall. <laughs> Uh, It'll I, be
0: a great wall. Saw, That's what he said. A saw, great wall. I saw Michael Shea <laughs> from Saturday Night Live. He's the, the black anchor on the Weekend Update. And if you get a chance to see him live, he's a great comedian. And he's just like, what if we like the wall? What if we like, fuck, that a beautiful wall. <laughs> 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 he's actually not as anti-Trump as you think. But he's uh, he's the head writer for SNL, and he's not that anti-Trump. And Michael Shea is a great Twitter and Instagram follow. He's like... What if he finishes that wall, and we're just like, God damn, he made a beautiful fucking wall. <laughs> uh, so he said, uh, let's see here. Um, uh, 72% of the green cards in fiscal year 2018 for family-based or diversity reasons. At the same time, the system allocated only 12% of its green cards for employment-based reasons. Galt. So, I mean, let's
1: let's... The, the immigration problem...
0: Let me, let me kind of finish this okay. up, and then we'll kind of do the whole thing. So uh, let's see here. Uh, for some perspective, U.S. lawmakers always look at the immigration system of Canada and Australia. Those countries strongly value merit-based and economic-based immigration. In Canada, in 2016, they gave out 26% of permanent resident visas on the basis of family and 52 on economics. Australia gave out 33 for family and 67 for economic. In the past time, in, in the past time for the U.S. to embrace, it is past time for us to embrace a merit-based economic system, and that is one of the things that he is really pushing for uh, in his. You stuff. mean
2: capitalism?
0: Well, yeah, like a merit-based I mean, right. economic system. <laughs> like, can you be a producer here in this country as opposed to somebody's brother? What What are your thoughts on immigration, boys? Uh, it needs to be as easy as possible.
1: And why is that? Because free trade always works and is better for everyone always and forever. I agree. Yep. And the argument that I've heard against this is not a free trade argument, even though I'm sure the people who argue it are anti-free trade. Um, it's that, oh, that's all well and good, but they don't vote Right. Right. And
0: like, which was the the Greg Lynn's argument was right. that we can let them here to be participate in, right, uh, e- economically. But I don't want to give them the right to vote unless they're libertarian, right. And and <laughs> you know, I mean, which I'm, there are no I'm easy solutions. And you know what? Maybe you're right.
1: Maybe you bring a bunch of maybe they don't like it and they vote to make everything more liberal. Maybe, maybe though they also come here and they realize that all the opportunity that they've been given is great and they don't want to lose it. Um, And they switch. The problem is with, with thinking about that you can say anything about this large class of people is that you have to have a supreme arrogance and hubris to think that you know how it's all going to turn out. Right. And I fundamentally disagree with the idea that we should be making decisions about something like this, about the free flow of essentially goods because labor – And is people. What, yeah, people. I mean their, their labor is what I'm talking about specifically. Obviously I want them <clears throat> to have – You know, the cultural exchange and and their own lives and all that stuff, that's all great and important, Um, but if we're talking about it from a policy perspective, you know, everybody's always worried about labor. They want to make sure that they, like, one of the reasons they don't want them to come over is because they don't want to lose their, they took our jobs, and we don't want them to do that, and all this stuff, but like...
2: Yeah, I wish the the right to travel would have been explicitly enumerated in the Bill of Rights, Mm -hmm. so that... You know, they wouldn't even be able to license cars and stuff. Right, right. It's Because you great, have a right to travel. Great point. You should. Because, but if, because if, it's if, not if, in there, they can if, regulate anything. If, yeah. Yeah. In a
1: libertarians, <laughs> I think libertarians are actually more split on this than, uh, than I think people realize. What, free trade? Yeah. Uh, no, not free trade. Uh, immigration. Yeah. Oh. Because I think there's a lot of people, the, the Hoppians, I would call them, that are explicitly anti-free movement of people. Like, right. they don't think you have any right to immigrate and that is true under a hoppian system because Hoppe was an anar- is an anarchist who believes that if there is no government and everything's privately owned and you have complete control over your private property then that means no one can freely immigrate and that's true but we don't have such a system right we have public property roads are not owned in private Discussion as to whether or not they should be privately owned, that's over here. That's a discussion for we'll table over, for now. Right, right. That's not what I'm talking about. We'll get there in two hundred years. Yeah. I'm talking about the free flow of people right now across <laughs> the border. That is there is no property rights problem here. If everything's owned, if if roads are owned publicly. Now you could talk about their burden on the welfare state, and personally I'm one of the people who thinks welfare state deserves such a burden. Um but that's the best
2: argument for it. But no, it's but you not. Can, that, that's it, the best argument for it. it is in nineteen
0: ninety six, in the welfare reform, they added that immigrants can't get welfare. I mean, you you have to go through and become a citizen to get all the benefits of being a citizen, and that takes a dozen and years. And it's also incredibly but if,
1: pessimistic, right? And but, cynical.
0: The idea that these people
1: let's say they came from South let's say they didn't come from the immediate border of the United States where they just had to walk two miles and they're in America, right? Let's say that they traveled from. Way down south in South America or South, Southern Central America, far away, you know, like
0: that's not easy. Like, you can't just do that. Right. You have to work. They're not in a mumu riding right. around on a, on, a, on, a, on a one of those scooters going, beep, beep, right? like, get you out have, of my way, train. You have to
1: work. You have to plan. You have to float me across the like, Rio. Like, it's not like they're just like, oh, my God, we're going to go to the land of milk and honey that is America, and we're going to live off of the government. Right. Like, that is cynical. That's, that's cynical to even think that. I don't even think the evidence supports that. I'm pretty sure purport, per, percentage-wise there's fewer immigrants, people who have, like, direct immigrants. On wealth in in the welfare system than white people, it, it's and like, absolutely
0: true. And, and the Cato Institute has proven that.
1: And and it's like, you're that's not an argument. Mm. That is that's that's an argument from prejudice. Yes. Fundamentally, it's an argument from prejudice. It's
0: an argument that one time you heard from somebody and it sounded good, and so you keep repeating it without ever verifying the fact that that may or may not be the case. But if you were saying, I don't want immigrants to come to this country because we have a welfare state. You don't know what you're talking about. yeah. And when I hear that, I immediately know that our conversation is done when we're talking about immigration because you are uninformed. It is illegal for an immigrant who is here illegally to get any welfare benefits. They have to be a full citizen of the United States, and that takes a dozen years to do. Seven and years. $10,000. It's, yeah. it's a long process. And by and large, immigrants to this country are more entrepreneurial, they are more. They're harder workers. And they could get
2: Obamacare. That's a that's a welfare. Well, okay, cool. That I pay for. <laughs>
0: not not anymore. That
2: illegal immigrants come into my country and use. So how are so they going to get Obamacare my without money?
0: Social Security?
1: Right. What? How are they going to get Obamacare without Social Security? You're talking about they can just walk into emergency rooms. Yeah. Yeah, but that could happen before Obamacare. Right. Doctors aren't going to be like, uh, well, you know what? Um, hey, sorry about, about that leg that bad. got thrown off you by got, a train. you got a harpoon in your chest, oh. but I, you look like you might not be here legally. We i to send you back. Do you like, have that's, any not papers? It,
0: that's never how it's worked. <laughs> Ever. Ever. Uh, so he had a, f- a four-pillar plan on immigration and roll call. I tweeted on WAL underscore politics, which is uh, a, a site that I, I basically do a lot of Prep work. I put all my prep work out there. Check it out. Uh, but I retweeted these from roll call that night. Uh, the first pillar of his immigration plan will be offering a path to citizenship for 1.8 illegal immigrants brought to you here at a young age, three times the amount of DACA. 1.8 million. One 1.8 1. 8 million is almost three times the <coughs> amount of DACA, the, the, what we would call DACA kids now.
2: And arguably that's the opposite thing that he ran on. Exactly
0: right. Uh, the second pillar, securing the border. That means building a wall on the southern border and hiring more border agents, Trump said. The third pillar, ending the visa lottery, a program that randomly hands out green cards without any regard for skill, merit, or the safety of our people, Trump said. And the fourth and final pillar, ending chain migration, limiting sponsorships, To spouses and minor children. And if you are one of those people who think that he created chain migration as a racist term because people were brought here in chains, stop (laughs) repeating that. You're an idiot. Okay, so. Yeah,
1: but like I was saying a minute ago, some guy, some lawyer said to the cousin argument um, that chain migration, you can bring your cousins and stuff. It's actually, if you did that, if you tried to bring like your cousin and your aunt and your uncle and like, it actually would take something like
0: 100 years. Right. Like to do that. The. Left went crazy because he began his segment on immigration, telling a story about MS-13 killing a young girl, and they they claimed that Trump was trying to set up all immigrants as if they are all MS-13 as a way to persuade Americans to believe that all illegal immigrants are MS-13, and I'm sure that within a certain segment of the population, that is the case, and that may have been his intent. But I think most Americans are smart enough to know that illegal immigrants, by and large, most adults have met immigrants and have worked with immigrants and know that they're not MS-13. So stop pretending that we're all feeble-minded children that need you to protect us from the truth. It's what they try to do with Muslims and ISIS. Exactly. The same thing. Uh, So then we move on to defense and foreign policy. Trump Trump celebrated killing off ISIS. Uh, I had printed off an article, but I didn't get a t- time to read it, and I want to do a more in-depth episode on if Trump actually killed off ISIS, uh, because I'm I'm skeptical that he was effective in anything. <laughs> so so we'll do a fur- a future episode on that. Um, then he talked about rebuilding our military as if somehow our military is <laughs> decrepit and dying. We have, we and have never cut spending to, ever. The, to the military, like – I don't think ever, right? right.
1: It, I mean, for sure, not since World War II. But right. I don't think ever, like the. You, the and before you mm. bring up, what was that? Two or three years ago, the yes uh, to appeal sequester. to sequester. The sequester, to, yeah. The sequester also military. didn't cut spending. The he, he, sequester reduced spending growth below projected spending right. growth. It wasn't even like, oh, well, we knew it was going to grow this much because we had budgeted that much, and now we're going to make it grow this much. It was. The projection of the CBO was so high, and he's and the sequester reduced it below that projection, and they called that a spending cut. That's that's yeah. wa- that's wa- that's the best example of Washington speak. Yeah. When you reduce spending growth, that's a spending cut. And and M- Mick Mulvaney actually has a talk where he talked where he where he uh, the thing where he talks about this. He says if you reduce spending growth, uh, below the CBO estimated CBO growth, a uh, spending growth. You're still net increase in spending, mm-hmm. and it could even be more than inflation. That's considered a spending cut. If you keep it at the CBO growth, that's like a spending freeze. And if you increase spending growth above the CBO's projected growth, that's a spending increase. It's a common
2: right. lawyer trick, you know. When you when you, when something doesn't do what you want it, you just redefine it. And if, when you create new exactly. definitions for what things are, you create re- he, the reality. He did
0: <laughs> say he wanted to end the sequester, which which would add five hundred billion to the deficit. Uh, so this is from the Heritage Foundation. Now listen, on economics, the Heritage Foundation can be, let's say, trusted. Uh, you can you can listen to them and say, okay, we're in the same ballpark. Yee-yee. When it comes to anything military, anything interventionists they are neocons they are paul wolfowitz they are dick cheney wah, wah. so so i'm going to read you what they said and i want you to know that i uh, fundamentally read this as we need to they the heritage foundation believes the same things that trump believes that we are only great because we have an enormous military and that is the fundamental flaw of most people on the on the conservative side, is that they see our military strength as what makes America great. And I don't believe that for a second. Uh, severe cuts, budget cuts over the last eight years, and constant deployments for the last twenty six years have not been kind to the military. They say ship crews are tragically undertrained, air force fighter squadrons and army brigades are not ready. They are too small. Ready for what, Galt? <laughs> the Army, Navy, Marines, North Korea. <laughs> and Air Force are smaller today than they have been in over half a century. Well, the reason that we have less troops is because technology is better, and now we have drones. We have more drones. Right. Yet, America's interests are under threat every day by challenges like North Korean intercontinental ballistic missiles, which what is what are the Marines going to do about ballistic missiles? The aggressive postures by Russia and China, which are just that, posturing. That's why President Trump calls to fully fund our great military. Uh, but there is a hiccup. In order for the military to actually get the funds, Congress must act. First to find the overdue agreement on 2018 defense funding, and then to approve the money that the president requests for 2019. The longer they delay, it the greater the danger to our country. We still spend more on the military than every other nation combined. We're fine. Everybody chill out. the The reality is that we have less... Uh-huh. Hot wars than ever before, because we have uh, uh, the Internet age has brought about greater connection between peoples of various nations and the political will for war, where in nineteen eight and 1914, everybody's like, wait, what? Uh, I just read the newspaper. We went to war last week. <laughs> like that's not how it works anymore. We're very much in control of our government more than they were even a hundred years ago when Woodrow Wilson was in charge of the government. So, well, it, back then they had
2: to draft. You oh, knew when there was a war. You knew, because yeah. Young men had to line up and go. Yeah. Now it's there's a war. There's he, a war on for some control over something, and it's just fought with robots. He and calls. Missiles. He calls to modernize- That's and not
1: true. It's fought with people, too, but not nearly to the extent that it really. used to be.
0: Just small squads. Right. Not, uh, not not, armies. He also said, we need to modernize and rebuild our nuclear arsenal. <sighs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, to modernize and rebuild our nuclear arsenal, <laughs> hopefully never to use it, but making it so strong and powerful that it will deter any acts of aggression. Okay. Um, They say our our, our arsenal is aging, the infrastructure decaying, the scientists retiring, and if we are not careful, our nuclear deterrent will be jeopardized. I am a... We have not tested a nuke since 92. Our ICBMs are 48 years old, our sub-launched missiles 28 years old, and some of our bombers are 58 years old. We must invest in this critical area, says the Heritage Foundation. So I may come down on the side of... It's
1: probably good that we have nukes, mm-hmm. um, and it'd be nice to have modern modernized nukes. I and don't recreational know. Now, I don't. I don't. Now Mick, I don't. Mick nukes for yeah. your backyard. I don't know. Yee, yee. I don't, <laughs> We'd be real safe then. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Now that being said, I don't know. They say it's forty-eight years old. That could mean nothing. They could be perfectly fine, right? Um, and it's just a, a tactic to get people to spend more money on it.
2: No, that's what they do when they buy those missiles. Is the 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 companies that manufacture them put an expiration date on them, and then they say you can't use these after this date. You must purchase new ones. So, so, so the government gets incentive to use those missiles before their expiration date because they're it's use it or lose it basically. Well, I'm just saying
1: like they, when they say these our nuclear missile ICBMs are 48 years old, yeah, yeah. maybe they say there's an expiration date, um, and but maybe it could be that they literally are just they're not guaranteed. Probabilistically as safe, if, right? So I, I'm not a, a, a missile expert, so I don't know. Um, my point is, is that until we get to a state of affairs where we don't have, frankly, if when society has advanced enough, I guess in a social and a psychological sense, that we can be assured that there won't be nuclear war, right? The only deterrent to nuclear war are nukes, which Sounds ironic or sounds mm-hmm. counterintuitive, but I mean it's you know it even goes down to game theory. It's like it's a uh, um, a Nash equilibrium, like it's mutually assured destruction, and you know, I, I mean it sounds really bad when you say it like that. And I know a lot of libertarians don't like the idea of governments having any access to violent mechanisms of any kind because they're the government or whatever, but, right? But for me, like that's not the. I mean, we live in the certain world right now, and I don't know. Like, I'm not. I'm not out here trying to say that we need to give more money to Lockheed Martin to just up the nuke production to twenty, uh, you know, to twenty twenty nukes a day or something. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but uh, if you ask me on principle whether or not I support the government having nuclear warheads, I'm okay with the United States military having nuclear warheads. Sure, I would like mechanisms to make sure they don't get misfired or something. Of course, you, you but, can
0: argue that the nuclear age has been. A more peaceful age when you compare the wars of the past fifty years to the wars of ha- the first fifty years of the twentieth century. There hasn't been a world
1: war, right? Since World War II, it's after certainly
0: two- not been peaceful. It's not been peaceful, right. and there
1: has been conflicts that have spanned many countries. But you know, I
2: I'm not. An an you support the life. global monopolization of power? No, that's what that's what you're saying. No, I'm not. Yeah, because. You're saying that you like that we have nukes and no one else is allowed to have nukes. That's not what I said at all. I want everyone to have nukes. (laughs) Don't look at me to save you. Oh, you want me to have nukes. No,
1: I want every government to have nukes. Oh, just
2: government to have the monopoly on it. Right
1: now, in the current state of affairs, yes, because no one else has an organized military. Was it different
2: 10 years ago? No. So this is an ongoing status quo.
1: Right now, as in the sense of we're not in in the projected (laughs) utopia that we would hope. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. I'm saying that as the reality of the world right now, reality the best deterrent is deterrence... we're better
2: off no. with I... government monopolizing control over the power. We're safer because the we... United States has a monopoly of force okay, in the so world.
1: we When it comes to something like nuclear warheads, you're talking about something that can literally destroy every single human being on this planet. And the deterrent to nuclear war and this has historically been proven true, and it's theoretically true, like I said, it's a natural equilibrium, the deterrence of nuclear war are nukes. If one person has a nuke, one group has a nuke, one state has a nuke, there is, for example, the only time I think... Since ever since the invention of nukes, that there was one world power that
0: had a nuke, it was when we had two of them and we dropped both of them on Japan. The two of you are why nobody should have nukes, because all Galt does is trigger you, and then you from orbit fire nukes at him, and then he. My point: all he did was send a CIA force right into your ears. My point (laughs) is, is and (laughs) you fired nukes at him. My my point is, is that
1: (laughs) nuclear warheads are more are like, as Thomas Jefferson would describe, holding a wolf by the ears, right? Like. You don't want it to be like that, but you can't really let go. Yeah. Because,
2: man, so, it's because they're dangerous. Maybe we should apply that same principle to weapons and guns and let only the government have the monopoly of force over those weapons Don't look at me to guns. save
0: you. You, you. Listen, you
2: want to argue with your this bro- is, You this can is, say no to the, These the, are arguments that— I'm just that saying, these are your, arguments your principle that is a slippery
1: slope. It's not a slippery slope. It is. It because, is towards the because authoritarianism. Because there, no, there is absolutely no device on this planet— that is capable of destroying every human being and all life in general, like a nuke. Yes. Even the strongest missile, the strongest megaton TNT-based bomb. A nuke bomb, still wouldn't kill the whole world. If You're a nu- exaggerating. It, a nuke, it would destroy a nuclear, city, a country, w- no. maybe a state. Nuclear war would kill everyone. So would, so would, would ballistic war would missile war. Because no,
2: it
0: wouldn't. Yes, if, if we everybody that's launched just a, all that's ballistic just, missiles no, in the world, it would, it would what kill is, everyone. No, it would. No, it would not. What do not. you think is on a ballistic missile? Nukes. A, 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 a nuke,
1: yeah, an ICBM with with a nuclear payload would kill everyone. But if you're just talking about like a TNT missile, that would like they can blow up a Fire building. missile. The missiles. They can blow up a building with one of those. You think that we have so many of these missiles in the world that we could literally yes. destroy? That's that's You are overestimating no. the amount of resources we have as like a society. We have the
2: largest military in the world. You don't tell me what we are capable of. You are
1: overestimating the <laughs> sheer physics of the situation.
2: I'm talking about nuclear weapons. I And you're agree.
1: saying that only
2: governments should be allowed to have them. No, I think that every government should have them. Every but government only government. It.
1: Maybe, maybe right now, Elon it's only Musk government. shouldn't be allowed to have a nuke. Right now, maybe it's only government. But at some point, yeah, maybe it could be. It could be individuals. It could be. I, I'm. I'm trying to say that the deterrent to nuclear war is
2: for everyone to have nukes. It's been a long time since I've lost control of the show. But before. but everyone can be us. That's right? okay. Chris Spangle and I and you have a nuke. You're not going to nuke me because Chris Spengel is going to nuke you back in revenge. If, if somebody was, had, I mean, I if hope. somebody had the,
1: you're, you're putting me in this position of having to defend something that is real, re, that is incredibly absurd. You put yourself in this no, position, sir. Because, no. You're the
2: one that's sitting here saying that government should have a monopoly of force. No,
1: you're the one. The government is a monopoly on force. That's already, the government already has a monopoly on force. And you're defending that, it. In reality. You're saying it's made us no, safer than I'm we've not, ever been no. in history. Let's stop for, stop. <laughs> first point. First point. Am I defending the government as a monopoly on violence? No. I am stating that it exists, and that is the reality in which we live. Two, do I think that everyone should have nukes? Should, in like a moral sense, no. I don't think nukes are necessary in any way, shape, or form to any kind of end other than the destruction of civilization.
2: But you probably couldn't afford one. Probably so the market not. would create those people that would be able to have them. Amazon, the market would automatically control us. Amazon names. nukes. Perhaps. But do I think that
1: given the state of affairs that we exist in in our society right now with the the social political landscape that exists in this world, do I think that mo- uh, governments should have nukes? Yes. Every government should have them because they deter people from using them if you have them. So then
2: you don't want war with North Korea. No. Because you want them to have nukes. Sure. That's what you're saying. They already have them. You want- I want North Korea- A a clinically insane man that runs a country just because he runs a country. He should be allowed to have a monopoly on nukes. You voted for him,
0: not me. No, I'm talking Kim Jong-un. Oh, I thought you were talking about Donald Trump. You're
2: saying that because he runs a country, he should be allowed the privilege to have a monopoly of force on nukes. And every country just like that- so, no matter how moral, no matter how right or wrong, or what political philosophy they so believe in, they should have nukes, but you, I shouldn't. So what you they have? A, listen, they know what you, you to think, do better you, with them than th- I do. You
1: think you're trying to say something profound, and you're not. What I'm trying to describe here <laughs> is literally game theory. Like this is something that we have known that has existed for you know, like I said, it's a Nash equilibrium. Like. These it's not a, it's not a matter of morality and principle like oh in this hypothetical situation we had some clinically insane person had a nuke would you support that that's not what i'm talking that's about not a hypothetical I'm, I'm, that is happening <laughs> North Korea has had nukes for a long time you don't know what they have are do you right now feel like North Korea will bomb the united states
2: that that's irrelevant do you? Th- it's irrelevant. You're, to what we're talking about it is relevant it because is irrelevant. because
1: my whole argument is is that bombing other countries is prevented by those other countries having nukes. So you support so North Korea we having nukes? We, we won't bomb North Korea, and North Korea won't bomb us. That's what I'm saying. So they it's should a have Nash- nukes. yes. You support North every country should have nukes. So I don't because that's how you prevent nuclear war. It's in- counterintuitive, but it's literally. Do you hear him? It I is have. it is counterintuitive. I completely understand. That sounds absurd. You <laughs> prevent nukes. You prevent nuclear you war by put, people having nukes. I understand that. that no, you're absurd. not saying
2: people having nukes. You're saying government and nations are, are the only people that should have you're the nukes. To, you're trying to. You're you are you are conflating no matter two what they issues are. here. No, North you, Korea is a nation.
1: Yes, but you're <laughs> trying to imply that my it, argument as to the ownership of nukes is limited to government that's what when you i'm said, saying in you said re- that's what's no, making us safer. i said in reality right now governments have nukes and every one of them should and because it, it makes at us some safer point in the future it, because yes, it makes us because safer. they prevent nuclear war but not if individuals on them that's the, you're adding that on top of what i'm saying and trying because to you're limiting it to arguing arguing. Just government <laughs> because right now no individual can have nukes they maybe, maybe, maybe Since Elon Musk could. Maybe Elon Musk has the money. Have you heard about the Boring
2: m- Company? He sold like 50,000 t shirts and he said, you know, once we sell 50,000 t shirts, I'll sell a flamethrower. And then he started selling a flamethrower okay. like two days ago and you can buy a flamethrower now. Perhaps,
1: perhaps Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos that is, that is, has, that has, is, the, has the resources and the is wherewithal to, to create, to create, <laughs> to own nukes. Perhaps. But. That's not the situation we live in right now. Because it's illegal. Because government has a monopoly illegal. of force. I don't even know if it is illegal. It is? <laughs> to own a nuke? I don't no, know. It's got to be illegal. Are you I kidding me? I, frankly, I'm not. Uh, There's got to be a law. Maybe. I, I. We should have people. They wouldn't even let that guy in Florida build pe- a rocket to we go should, to space. We should have people look at this. Because <laughs> <Jason, laughs> I feel like it's probably like you can't like buy and sell uranium or something without a license or something like
0: that. <laughs> Jason says that if he had a nuke, he'd nuke both of you. I know it's been 230 episodes since we had a good Galt Creighton fight. I had to let him go, but this is like this
1: is how like this. It's going to make me sound insane because I'm saying that we need everyone to have (laughs) nukes, and
2: I'm well aware that it. To me, it's like you're in between a rock and a hard place. My my only issue was with you saying that. Because only governments own nukes, no. that makes us safer. No, you said that. No, I said because I'll clip because, it. I'll clip it and put it listen, on Facebook. Tonight. I
1: said specifically. <laughs> I fine. said specifically because governments because governments own nukes, We're they're safer. not going to war with other governments. That's my point. You're trying to delineate. Specifically, my use of the word "government" as being an implicit rejection of private ownership, and and I'm not even trying to but go down that road. But not even true because not all governments own nukes. But the ones that the ones that do own the nukes own- do not bomb each other. The ones that <laughs> do, the ones that, the ones that don't <laughs> because own, they're allies. But the one but the that's not But true. he's saying,
0: I mean, for the, a large part, I mean, the nukes, the United States and Soviet saying- Union
1: did not bomb each other. Why did they not bomb each other? Because they both had nukes. Everyone knows that. Does North Korea have nukes? Yes. We know that. Yes. They do. They have 8 or 10, I think. They have nukes. Yeah. And
2: you're good with that.
1: Yeah. Because they're not going to bomb us and we're not going to bomb they them. They might bomb China. And China probably has nukes.
0: China does have nukes. And they're not going
1: to bomb China cuz China will bomb them right back. It's mutually assured destruction. This is a tw- this is everyone knows yeah. this.
3: All right, and I'm not only, arguing but, but, that. But
1: what I'm saying is, is that if one group, one power, one world power has them, and another world power doesn't, there is a r- massive reduction in incentive for that world power to not use that nuke against that country. And when that happens, all hell breaks loose, and right. you could
0: have mu- world, w- world world nuclear war. So, Donald Trump then went on to talk about Iran. <laughs> He talked about Iran saying, when the people of Iran rose up against the crimes of their corrupt dictatorship, I did not stay silent. A man, uh, uh, the people stand with Iran. Uh, and he wants to fix the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, then he went on to introduce a $1 to $1.5 trillion infrastructure project. Uh, the, However, they write, however, it must be noted that in broadly deriding Terms the nation's infrastructure is usually described as crumbling. Uh, he pre- he mischaracterizes it regularly. In reality, the nation's major infrastructure is in satisfactory condition. The number and share of the nation's bridges that we were that were deemed structurally deficient, not unsafe, but not but demonstrating elevated maintenance needs, has declined by more than half over the last 25 years, and now represents under 10 percent of the nation's total. 93% of the miles driven on the national highway system are on pavement that is unfair or better condition. Airports move more people than ever before with a near-perfect safety record for scheduled commercial service. The nation's seaports continue to be among the world's largest conduits for international trade. So, in my opinion, uh, $1.5 trillion of added deficit spending to give to cronies of Donald Trump to create monopolies, to build roads that we don't really need in the first place doesn't sound like a good idea. So, I'm out on that. But we'll talk more about that in future episodes, I'm When,
1: when, sure. did, when, did, when did it become, I, I I asked this facetiously, when did it become out of vogue to reduce spending in one area to increase spending in another?
0: Uh, I don't know. I mean, really, Bush. Probably Bush. Oh, I'm sure it goes way back before that. Uh, of course. I mean, Reagan really overbuilt the military while cutting taxes and popped the deficits up. I mean, he was really the first to really in the modern era to kind of pop deficits. And then Clinton brought it all under control by doing a lot of deficit control, got us to a surplus at one point. We were alive when there was a government surplus. And the wars put us into these these massive deficits and Barack Obama didn't get it under control, Donald Trump won't get it under control but there's this uh, like and we're kicking that can down because, the road. Yeah,
1: it's because like there's this idea that deficits don't matter. So who cares? The only all that matters is that we can make our payments. Right. Like and that's that's not a healthy way to to look at things. Mm-hmm. Like that's just that's not healthy. And whatever why why is it so absurd to say like if you want to increase spending on this, then decrease spending on this. Yeah, like I mean, I know politically why it's hard, right? Because no one likes to decrease spending because everyone likes getting free money. Yeah, but like from a from a perspective of people like looking at this rhetorically, like why why can't any either side support that? Like the like it's not sexy. I know it's not sexy, but <clears throat> I don't know. I again, I ask Re- it facetiously because I know that it's uh...
0: entitlement is sexy. All right, so Trump uh, is in support of big beautiful coal. Which was the weirdest part of the speech. He was like, I have ended the war on big, beautiful coal and the crowd went wild. Uh Trump uh let's see here. Uh let's they talk about pulling out of Paris and reversing Obama era climate regulations was a dodged bullet for the American economy. The uh, Heritage Foundation for Data Analysis estimated that by 2035, participation in the Paris Agreement would produce an aggregate loss of $2.5 trillion in the U.S. gross domestic product, resulting in $20,000 of lost income for a typical family of four and a notable increase in the electricity expenditures.
1: I was under the impression that everything in the Paris Agreement was
0: already U.S. law. I don't know. I don't I don't know enough about it, to be honest. I mean, we, we were doing the show when that was passed, but we just didn't spend a lot of time on it. I, I was under, and I
1: could be wrong, but I was under the impression that the Paris Agreement was more about third world countries than it was about us. We actually wouldn't have to change many of our laws, if any, to be under the agreement, the Paris Agreement, right. like to be within its confines. I think it had more to do with making it so that it was third world and maybe that's where the money would be is like mm-hmm. we would have to we would be required to help third world countries or something but as far as like our the, the environmental regulations in our society are already within the parameters of the climate agreement at Paris i was under the impression i, I mean again i could be
0: wrong uh, he signed an energy independence executive order uh, that permitted fracking on federal lands, thus enabling our best and brightest, they say, to access our previously untapped vast oil and gas resources. Uh, he's capitalizing on our domestic energy. Obviously, they open Anwar in the tax bill to get uh, uh, Sus- it's, it's Murkowski from Alaska to vote for the bill, and so she did. Um, uh, surprise, surprise, the Heritage Foundation, the conservative think tank, founds that negligible changes in climate and sea levels will take place by making these changes, uh, (laughs) uh, eliminating the faulty social cost of carbon measures. The president alluded to unnecessary regulations that are stifling the American economy and could stall infrastructure investment, a critical component to the Trump administration in ending the war on coal, big, beautiful coal, and the war on American energy is eliminating use of the social cost of carbon in regulatory analyses. Long story short, when it comes to these carbon exchanges, the... They're, and I'm not a, a, a global warming denier. Like You can just look with your own eyes, any video, t- watch any climate scientist, go can, up to the North Pole and watch huge chunks of Antarctica and Greenland falling into the ocean. Alaska is now starting to melt. Like the, the science is pretty clear. The science the earth, is, the earth, is very clear. The earth is warming. It's uh, not even... Oh, uh, Sal Gore is right. The on the earth warming, yes, just because the aggregate of all the temperatures have gone up. He said we wouldn't have any ice caps right. by now, right? There's still ice there, but what's happening there, essentially there is, is whether like, or not they're right. It's not right. versus whether or not they. It's are. not as
2: an extreme pertinent issue as it's being. It's still an issue. It's it's, yeah. but it's not something to kill yourself over. Oh yeah, I'm not or, like, like right. There are people
0: screeching about it.
1: Yeah, I believe that the, earth, the climate change is real, but I don't think that it's an apocalyptic thing.
0: Right. So you have, I mean, you can just watch all this. It's clear that it's happening, and what happening is basically is you take like the California wildfires, all that smoke, that black smoke goes up into the atmosphere and lands on the snow, and all that ash ends up in the poles, and that dark ash then starts to melt that ice faster. It and made, so,
1: man-made climate change is real too. Right. I think absolutely. Just so
0: I can go on the record and say that man, anthropogenic
1: <laughs> climate change is yeah. real.
0: That black smog that you see in pollution, like in in Beijing, contributes also by landing in the poles as the Earth cleans it. So we are contributing. There is no doubt. But how much are we contributing? I don't know enough about it. I don't. And so what people propose is a carbon tax, and essentially you pay a tax. And Elon Musk is for this. And I heard Elon Musk talk about it, I think, on 60 Minutes once. And this He is, would be for it, though, wouldn't he? He really, yeah, because... He's got electric cars. Electric cars, yeah. electric batteries for homes. And that's where I saw it on a 60 Minutes piece about it. And he's like, I'm for a carbon exchange because the only way to get people to change their behaviors is to incentivize Punish. against it. And it is not in your interest if you're being taxed on this certain type of energy, so use this certain type of energy. So that is why people are for carbon exchanges. And so when you hear people talk about you know the the cost of American business if we enter into these agreements, that's what they're talking about. They're literally taxing CO2 emissions. Yeah. And that's uh bad for business, obviously. I think I think the I mean my argument on this obviously is But it would be good be... for the
2: environment, would it not?
1: See that's that's I, which is look, more important, th- business there, or the environment?
0: It's it's one of those issues that I've never studied a ton about. I mean, I I've never really had an opinion until I started watching like, sixty Minutes, advice and, Vice, and uh, honestly mainstream media and left leaning media outlets. But like Vice, when Shane Smith went up to the icebergs, and you just like, you see it in action. You go, oh well, this is my eyes. These are my eyes that see what's happening here. And yeah, I. You know, like this guy put like this string, and he's like, "When we come back, the string will be gone." And then they came back, and the string was gone because so much ice had melted. And you just go, oh, "Okay." You go, in Venice? They show in Venice where dry parts of Venice historically are now 150 days out of the year flooded, and they have walkways. So it's undeniable that in places like Miami and New York, and you know, the what are the islands that are just disappearing off of the coast of India, uh, right. Venice. Across the world, the oceans are rising. How do you fix it? I'm not smart enough to know the answer to that. Yeah, I'm
1: not, I'm not, I don't know really anything about the science behind it. Right. And that's
2: what, and that's the sad thing. I think that's what a lot of people get from libertarians. Well, but here's the thing. it's, there's there's no interest there for you to, to no even I, learn my, about it. My,
0: it, my interest, I, I, I am learning about it. I don't know enough at this point to really like climate, make a statement climate, of fact. Here. Climate science is
1: you not know? some chump change thing. Like you got to go like well trained scientists that
2: that. I just learn think, it's stuff. A, I think it's I think it's an issue we're not strong on. But what I'm tra- right, what I'm I trying to say
1: is I don't I don't know enough about it. But to me, I think that most the, a lot of the fear comes from the, the the concept of change in climate. Right. Now that being said people who live on coasts that would be underwater if the or if the ocean went up however many you know obviously they have a big dog in the fight and and i you know projections are this projections are that i i don't know but but i feel like a lot that i've heard is that climate change in and of itself is scary because it's change right and i don't like that argument and i that this this is an argument that i i have hold generally generally is that there's there's no reason that things should be stuck the way that they are. Yeah. I'm not saying that we should purposefully change the climate, but I also don't think that we should present it as
0: being the end of all things right. either. Um, Nor do I think we should just say, oh, it's not real because I don't understand it. Yeah, it, it's real. It's happening. Um, now,
1: politically, is it more likely that you're going to radically reduce The usage of CO because let's let's face it, the biggest two CO two emissions are electric power plants and cars, and the other as far as man made, um, the uh, there's also natural. There's like volcanoes and decaying plants and 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 uh, and some other stuff that cause a lot of CO two emissions. Cow farts, cow farts and stuff. (laughs) They say you should become a vegan because so you can reduce climate change. Like those people are so pretentious, right? but uh my, my the way i see it is is like the the most visceral increase in climate the most visceral action for climate change prevention was the advent of the hybrid right car companies saw that there was this big demand for people to to to, to drive not only safe and smart and fast and all this and luxury but but to actually be environmentally conscious and you right. can say that that's that's a bad reason because you're just being superficial about it but irrelevant it, regardless of that these car companies saw this and they created vehicles that were more environmentally friendly mm-hmm. now they're, not envir- they're they don't get good gas mileage because there's two engines in the car but like if you look at the co2 output of the vehicles there' there' it's, it's lower because it uses the electric car battery a lot um so getting the infrastructure, is one thing because that's very heavily governmently involved, mm-hmm. government involved. And you can maybe have something like a like a Tesla battery that kind of takes the burden off the infrastructure to some extent. But I feel like the best movement we've made towards a cleaner output, a, a to a climate friendly, change friendly output has been a market solution. Mhm. You know, people wanted better cars, they got better cars. Yep. Now you could say cash were clunkers, and I don't think that really affected it as much as people like to think. But I think the the solution to this is not going to be just taxing old industries. That's going to be that's just going to cause more societal pain right. than is necessary. It needs to be a change that is gradual. Like you can't just tell coal the coal industry and all these people who you can just be like, you know what, sorry, we don't need you anymore. Yeah, we're going to tax you out of existence.
0: Right? Like they you're like yeah, that's going to work out well. Or putting tariffs on solar panels. Yeah. It's like, why would you hurt an American industry that is going to help revolutionize? But I mean, you're doing it just to curry favor with coal miners. Frankly, I think the biggest
1: hurdle, like, frankly, the best solution that we have right now, until they invent fusion, for infrastructure energy that is clean and environmentally friendly and has very little CO2 output is nuclear. Mm-hmm. The biggest hurdles for nuclear are government regulations. Yeah. They're environmental protections that... Think that nuclear
0: power is still from nineteen forty-five, right? Like,
1: nuclear power is the safest.
0: There's, there's the a cleanest. Yeah, and there's, there's the a kid who invented a way to use nuclear waste to power new nu- homes with nuclear power plants on nuclear waste. But the fact and it's completely that, safe. The
1: fact that the the people who are anti coal. I I mean I I'm, I'm generalizing, but. I would argue that the people who are very vehemently anti-coal are also vehemently anti-nuclear power. Mm -hmm. Even though it is the only viable solution that could provide the output necessary to sustain our industrialized society, that's also environmentally friendly. Now, yes, there is nuclear waste, and there will be some nuclear waste that has to be taken care of. But you're talking about nuclear waste versus the bugaboo of climate change, because nuclear power is very clean in that regard. Mm -hmm and it's all it's very powerful it's very efficient it's way safer the the number of deaths percentage wise let alone in gross amounts of people who worked in nuclear energy the nuclear power plants Versus coal power plants Is still ridiculously small The worst disaster ever Was Chernobyl And that was from A failing Soviet Union Using 1950s technology I'd
0: argue Fukushima's probably Worse than Chernobyl And oh, we just yeah, don't yeah. know about it Well maybe I think they're covering but up A Fukushima lot of Fukushima
1: Fukushima was literally a, yeah. An earthquake And a tsunami yeah. At the same time Like you know we can't. We can't. We but can't, that's
0: the argument against nuclear is, is that, that you can't. You have one catastrophic event like that that nobody foresees. But that isn't and how then nuclear you kill, power. Then that's then also po- not how nuclear power poison works. every fish in Alaska. No,
1: that's not how nuclear power works. Though, like <laughs> people like to think that a nuclear meltdown would literally blow up like Hiroshima or something. No, it's that's the, not. That's it's not the slow how it works. leaking
0: of nuclear materials into the Pacific that is and poisoning it, fish. And, and
1: it's a problem that would have to be addressed by people that are skilled and smart and have to deal with these kinds of things.
0: The problem is those people exist. Is the japanese government's not being honest about fukushima oh, because they're trying to cover it up and make that makes the problem worse
1: per- perhaps but i'm talking about for us policy you know we've had the the only i think the it, maybe not the only but the biggest disaster we've ever had was three mile island and no one even got sick from that yeah so like that we know of th- th- that that we know of To this day, there have been no reported sicknesses from Three Mile Island. Worse Um, than, you know, Flint's worse. Yeah. So, like, (laughs) as far as, like, a record of safety, a record of efficiency, a record of cleanliness, the only reason that nuclear power, in my mind, other than maybe lobbyists for coal and all these other electrical energy people, um, like, the only reason in my mind is just because people don't understand it, and it's scary. It's nuclear. Ooh, bombs. uh, Hiroshima Nagasaki. So, until we get fusion... Which, you know, maybe that happens in fifty or hundred years. Yeah, I think solar. nuclear. I think I don't. But that's just it. Solar. The demands on solar and, and this is an important point. The demands on solar. The demands from that we would ha- put on solar or on uh, wind. Would be so to 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 literally power the entire United States electrical grid would be so intense. You would talk about environmental damage. Imagine entire states filled with these like you can't use the land for anything other than windmills and solar panels. Well, you know, the, like
0: the, this is happening in Henry County. The problem with wind and solar is the. The storing of the electricity, battery, is, and
1: that's that's it, a general problem of
0: batteries. Right, that we haven't been able And to so, once you get the Tesla batteries, then then it, all games. Once are we off.
2: invent the tesseract, yes. <laughs> <Well, laughs> there, there, there so. is a general problem where
1: batteries <laughs> have since like the seventies or something. They've basically stagnated. Yeah, as far as the ability to, to store
2: energy. It's one of the breakthroughs we need.
0: All right, next up. Opioids. Uh, Trump declared a war. He's going to get tougher on opioids. He's going to fix the problem by doing what we've always done when it comes to drug problems: uh, arrest more people, you know, spend more money. And and this is one of those issues that is not on the headlines. It's sort of out there, but like the greatest rock and roll musician that everyone loves, one of the most beloved rock figures in history, just died of opioids. He's a victim of the opioid crisis, quote unquote. You know, and we look at it and go, "Oh, a rock star died of opioids," but he died of fentanyl. Like fentanyl is yeah. the stuff that Michael Jackson died of.
2: He died from prescription opioids, right? He and from, from a doctor, Tom Petty. yes, yeah,
0: okay. Tom Petty, and <laughs> this is happening all over the country. It's, it's a moment of silence. Um, so it was the greatest
2: rock and roll. Wow, definitely <laughs> was he definitely one was. of. Uh,
0: so <laughs> through its uh, opioid. Opioids Action Plan: The FDA is working to impose new requirements on manufacturers of prescription opiates. The National Institutes of Health is working with the Academy and pharmaceutical industry to explore non-addictive plans. Uh, the veterans of uh, the the VA is getting involved. So, but he, and he but he did say. Uh... That he was going to work on getting rid of regulations
2: for pharmaceuticals to lower the cost of drugs too, right? The try before the try if you're going to die thing
1: is that what it's called? Yeah, that's yeah. that's yeah. next
0: up. So the since President Trump took office, more than one billion has been distributed for prevention, treatment, and first responder coordination. This uh, has largely been tagged as one of the greatest failures of the Obama administration. Is that this developed under his watch and he never reacted to it? It was a huge underlying issue of the 2016 campaign, and in, in every stop, it, 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 both Hillary and Trump said, this is the issue that I get asked about the most. And so it's it's just an issue that's ready to explode, and I think there's going to be, at some point, some match that will light this tender box that will get a real conversation about this, and there will be some action. Unfortunately, government action usually ends up in more law enforcement And And specifically the opioid crisis, specifically the opioid crisis, because what's happening now is people are cutting fentanyl with heroin. (laughs) They're not doing heroin. They're doing fentanyl, the stuff that puts you to sleep when you are are going under for surgery. And so they're not just doing Oxycontin. They're doing stuff that's stronger than Oxycontin. And it's and it's and
1: it's. Majority of it's rural America, drug base. Yeah, like absolutely, but it, it's it's not it's not just you can't you can't just write it off as like oh black folks and Mexicans do drugs. But
0: I know kids, I know kid like Park Tudor here is the hoy uh private school high school here. There's there's a lot of kids at Park Tudor that are dying of heroin too. So it's, I know. it's a Hero, real issue.
1: Heroin is, I mean these these hard drugs that were always in movies and they were always in the background is like yeah. you know rock stars or something, right? Yeah, or or it was in the big cities. It, right. Like, it's not like that anymore. Like, the hard drugs have made it into your backyard. Yeah. And it is you can't, like I said, you can't just write it off as being other people that you're, you don't know anymore because it's probably the guy that lives next to you or down the street. Yep. He's probably doing it, and he's probably going to die from it.
0: It's a, it's a massive, massive issue. It's much bigger than anybody's talking about. Right to try. Uh, Trump stood up for the right of seriously ill patients to try experimental drugs, something they are often blocked from doing. Obviously, something we're for. I mean, if you're dying, why not have the ability and the right to try yeah. experimental medicine? Let's
1: extend this to right to try even if you're not necessarily
2: dying. He said, if you're terminally ill, you should not have to travel from country to country to country to, country to try to survive.
0: Yep. Uh, Carly says that diprivan was Michael Jackson's cause of death. I apologize if I'm wrong. I thought it was fentanyl. Um, it probably was both. Uh, then he talked about vocational education uh, and wanting to improve school systems and 529 plans. Listen, folks, yes, we have a problem with education. Yes, we don't do enough vocational education, but the federal government has absolutely no place for education, I- it being involved in education. You talked
2: about education? Right.
0: He talked about education? He, a little bit at the end. I missed
2: that. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't see him talk about education. I
1: haven't been following
0: what's-her-face at the Department of Education. Has she been doing good? I've heard conservatives say good things, so take that for what it's worth. Um, But it's not like Jeff Sessions where everybody hates Jeff Jeff Sessions. Uh, Then he also talked about North Korea. Uh, The most troubling parts about his talks on North Korea was that diplomacy wasn't really an on-the-table option, so... I don't like that. The things that weren't mentioned in this were deficits. Deficits weren't mentioned at all. Mm. Russia was not really mentioned. I think he mentioned them once as a competitor. But it's a smart strategic move because had he mentioned Russia, it would have been the only thing that CNN or any of these other stations covered. So I'm it,
1: still, I don't think I've been on here to talk about the Russia thing. Like, In my experience, like, aren't we still just mad that they got emails that made the Democrats look bad? that's That's basically the problem here. like when 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 Here's, they say Russia meddled in a, in American elections, they mean they released private democrat emails they, that make the Democrats look bad well, thats Fancy, one,
2: ba- that's one factor of a multivariate analysis. But but what else has Russia no. done? <laughs> so what you're saying? They bought is, Facebook ads. They've they've made bot shill accounts on Twitter. They've, yeah, they they've drove pushed narratives. The, really the that, only
0: effective thing. The only they did all that stuff. But like as a social media marketer, I can so tell you small. none of that matters. Yeah. What really mattered was hacking into the DNC and stealing stuff and giving it to WikiLeaks. That's what Russia did. Now what the republic? Or what the Democrats are always trying to find is. Did the Trump people know about it? Did they help with it? Did they tell them where to place the f- did they collude right. they really want it? they really wanted to be watergate? It's very clear none of that happened that none of these people could have done that had they wanted to. And the Mueller investigation has all been about trying to catch Trump in perjury or obstruction of justice and and hoping that he's dumb enough to do either or both. and he is. And so it has just it's been a brilliant political ploy to try and get Trump. And his administration on charges to build the narrative of a scandal that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of a scandal. The problem is, now it's coming back to bite them in the ass. Mm -hmm. This Nunez memo that we're hearing so much about, the hashtag release the memo, is... uh, Some people in the administration say it's way overblown. It should have been released quicker because now everybody thinks that this is the smoking gun and it's not as exciting. But basically what Nunez did is he wrote out all the ways that the FBI screwed up in the Hillary investigation and in some ways in the Mueller investigation. And when this memo comes out, some of these House Republicans are saying this is the end of the FBI, blah, blah, blah. Some of the people who've read it say it's not that big of a deal. But the only way for us to have any clue about it, and the and the Democrats are, oh, now all of a the sudden they aren't pro-Snowden. They aren't pro-Chelsea Manning. They're well, to be pro-
1: fair, half of the Democrats weren't pro-Snowden. Well, yeah, yeah,
0: but now all of them are because they know that it's the end of whatever's in it is going to be spun into the it, end of the the implication is, is that The
1: implication is that the, uh, Barack Obama um, told the FBI, To spy using the the power. I mean, this is
0: probably the spy using the powers under the Patriot Act, whatever, on Trump campaign aides. On Carter Page, Carter Page has been a, a a known person, as it's been put since 2014, for suspected ties to the Russian mob, to various Russian agents. And so they've been monitoring him forever. And so when he got involved in the Trump campaign, they became concerned. And as we have speculated on the show in previous episodes, the first place that you hear heard in the media was that the Trump dossier, that the Steele dossier was used to get the FISA warrant was me speculating that that happened. And I think I'm about to be proven right because it by all accounts, the Steele dossier A a piece of this is the one that was like the P the P gate that was on Buzzfeed.
1: Yeah, that was totally fabricated or completely wrong. Parts of it were,
0: but yeah, parts of it were fabricated. Like the P thing, it was a it was you know several dozen pages of what this British former British spy was hired by Fusion GPS. Fusion GPS was an Oppo research firm founded by ex Wall Street Journal investigative reporters. The Washington Examiner, a a right-leaning website, during the primaries hired this firm to do oppo research on all the candidates. Well, when he got the nomination, when Trump got the nomination, Hillary had one of her law firms go and hire Fusion GPS to continue the work on Trump that they had started. And they hired this guy named Christopher Steele, who was a former British spy who had expertise in Russian affairs, and he put together this document, and basically, you know, Trump's attorneys and Carter Page and all these people had had a bunch of Russian contacts and blah blah blah, and it and it was an Oppo research document, and the the guy, the head of, of Fusion GPS, has already said that one person died as a release as a result of this memo being leaked, which Seth I thought Ridge. was which I thought was interesting for him to say, uh, and if. Now, you remember when we were talking about the FISA program and Snowden, we always said, what happens when the Section 702, all the all the PRISM stuff, all this stuff is used for political purposes? Are, are we about to find out, and we don't know, are we about to find out that that happened? Did a political oppo research document, was it taken to a FISA court and authorized spying on the Trump campaign, on the, the phone calls, emails, text messages, communications of Carter Page, including conversations that he might have had with Trump or anybody affiliated with the Trump campaign, was that used to spy on the Trump campaign, and what was that information used for, and where did that information go? Did Barack Obama and the security state give information and leak things to Hillary's claim campaign? We don't know. Yes. We don't know. Yes. So we're they did. We're about to find out And you out. know why they did, right? Because then, you wouldn't then, do
2: something like that unless you knew you could get away with it. Right. And the polls were showing zero percent chance she's, Trump could win. Right. She's gonna win, so we can do whatever we need to make sure she wins. It would have never now it because she can cover it all up once she's in office, once she has that power. At she the can same make sure time, that never gets out.
0: Part of what they think is in this document are the problems with the investigation of Hillary Clinton. Now, you have Peter Strzok, who is the guy that was exchanging text messages with McCabe. his mistress, McCabe. Ta- and Andrew McCabe, who was his wife. He was, stepped down just now, right? Yeah, he History. just stepped down. Because McC- he's named in the memo. It's His name's going to be in the memo. Right. McCabe was scheduled to retire in a couple months, but he sped it up. McCabe's wife was running for a state house seat in Virginia. Terry McAuliffe, who was the chief fundraiser head of the DNC during the Clinton administration and governor of Virginia, governor of Virginia at the time, donated half a half a million dollars, I think it was, to her election effort. <laughs> and he didn't tell anybody that that happened for 6 months. So you you have these text messages where you have One of the experts in both – Peter Strzok helped write the Comey memo that said Hillary Clinton's off the hook. He was involved in the Mueller investigation, and he clearly was biased against Trump. That If it it means nothing, it still looks really bad. And you have all of these uh, characters on both sides where you do have shady people in the Trump administration – dealing with Russians. They're on, not honest brokers necessarily. And then you've got all of the Mueller team and the people in the Justice Department where Hillary Clinton was allowed to bring her lawyer and sit next to her during uh, uh, the uh, question and answers. Do you think that Donald Trump would be able to go and sit, if he if the tables were turned, do you think Donald Trump, knowing what we know about Peter Strzok, would he be allowed to go in and be asked questions by the FBI without being sworn in. Now, you can go to jail for lying to the FBI. Like, Michael Flynn wasn't sworn in. He lied to the FBI. He went to jail. Uh, Hillary Clinton did the same thing. Huma Abedin did the same thing. None of them got charged. None of them were charged with perjury. It's all been proven that they lied about the email servers. The uh, I think the only person that got in trouble was the kid who set up the DNC server in Hillary's house, and he... His lawyer, that represented him in that trial, works on the Mueller team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you've that's, got that's one unique patsy. Is, it, is that Imran yeah.
2: Arwan? Um, R- uh, M- no, Ron?
0: that's the that's the guy in the house. He set up uh, some the of the servers for the servers there, for at, the house. The house. Yeah.
2: yeah, like how could you ever think,
1: like, oh, hey, um, I, I work on servers for a living. I'll end up being a political patsy. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and uh, you. You have a lot of these different connections where it's a very cozy connection between the Obama Justice Department, the Obama FBI. After eight years, a lot of these people, you know, you can say what you want. Like, I think Robert Mueller is a man who is an honorable man. Like, I get these sense, and everybody who talks about Robert Mueller says this dude is no nonsense. He's as nonpartisan as one can be. Like, he just wants the truth. But when you read the text messages from Peter Strzok, I can't say the same about that guy. You know what I mean? So, Jim Comey—if you read his Twitter, he's a nut job. You know, it's like reading Chelsea Manning's Twitter. It's like I was down with you until I saw how many emojis you used, and now that's just a sign of mental illness. So I'm <laughs> out. Uh, so, so the memo that will be released uh, probably tomorrow morning or early next week. That that is supposedly detailing all of the ways that they messed up the Hillary investigation and the Trump stuff. Hillary was basically given counsel, wasn't sworn in. She lied to the FBI and she was let off the hook. And then you look at the situation and you go, okay, they were going to recommend charges in July of an election year for one of the major party candidates. Like there it's, the Justice Department and the FBI and the CIA, all that's supposed to be non political. Well does she think she's a Kennedy or something? Right. You know, if and really what it comes down to is what Galt says. They none of the, none of them thought this was going to be an issue. If everything had played out the way that the Trump people thought and the Clinton people thought, none of this would be going on. Trump didn't even think he was going to win. He didn't think he was going to win.
2: Clinton didn't write a concession speech. I don't think that
0: anybody <laughs> Nobody anybody, on anybody side. who tells you, oh, you don't think Trump was going to win, uh, yeah, you're stupid. Like, there's, you there's got lucky. There's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> like Michael Flynn is on record saying, this is only a problem if we win. And by Trump winning... Everybody like Hope Hicks. I haven't really read into what she's in trouble for, but he's you know she's allegedly sleeping with the the president. And uh, th- it really explains that breakdown
2: you saw from the Obama officials. Like yeah. they were all like break mentally broken after right. they lost because they, they all were know. freaking out. They all know. They were like. The White House is burning down, guys. <laughs> so, right. So do you think that this is going to
1: have anything shocking and revelatory in it, or do you think it's going to ignite a fire that leads to shocking and revelatory things?
0: It, more that than the other. I don't think that this memo, because I don't think Devin Nunez is somebody that is a reputable character. I, I think that Nunez is a Republican, and I think that he's trying to make a name for himself, and I think he's willing to kind of go to any lengths even – Fudging things. And that's what the FBI has said. The FBI has said that there are parts of this memo that are just completely false. Uh, What the smoking gun is, if they can get the FISA documents released and the president has the authority to declassify those if he wants. He and can declassify anything. Anything he wants. The and president
1: so, has above, 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 above top secret. Right. He can do whatever he wants to the classification of any document that is right. classified as president. So
0: so what? The, the, uh, remember, as we talked about a few episodes ago, uh, when we talked about the FISA Section 702 episode, where we talked about the FISA process, they get pieces of evidence and they fill out paperwork that is about the thickness of the Cincinnati phone book. And submit that, and then the judge signs off on it or says you need to go back and fix some of this, and then they go back and tweak it and all that good stuff. And so, a FISA judge is not going to authorize something unless it's pretty, especially on an American citizen, unless it's really smoking gun stuff, like they've got proof that this guy is a Russian Uh, agent. But here's here's the point.
3: Okay,
0: that's the assumption that we've all been operating under. True. If it comes out that they're authorizing secret FISA warrants on American citizens, warrantless wiretaps on American citizens on flimsy enough proof, like a political opposition research document that has fake stories about Russian peace peace stuff, like, that's the scandal. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. is the scandal that the security state of the United States government was used by Barack Obama and his... His administration You're to spy on political opponents. I mean, that's that's worse than Watergate. That's worse than Watergate. That's way worse it's than Watergate. And and it's worse. Absolutely true, every bit of it. Oh, I'm sure every bit I, of we, it.
1: We've always assumed that.
0: I would. I would like. I would like to have your confidence. Oh, but so somehow, confident. somehow, the security state always finds a way. Oh, they they to may cover it up. House. They may cover it up. So then, yeah. we,
2: we may not ever get the truth that I mean, that would be <laughs> but it, it's, if that it if that ends
1: up happening. Like if there is I mean, anything's possible. Like right. Trump got elected. So <laughs> like if <laughs> yeah, if if it does end up domino affecting to that revelation, like I like I doubt it's tomorrow. Like they would have like if it is, then they would be like that can't be true. and right. They would do more investigation and then it would be like the investigations results would be whatever
0: it, <laughs> it, it took. It took.
1: Years for Watergate to
0: fully unfold. Right. And,
1: and it wasn't even, they were like, you know, 18 minutes missing tape, and like, right. they had a they had an actual, you know, leaker, like, they had a source, like, a he, lot of things happened that other than just, you know, a memo got
0: released. This oh is no, why th- this, this is... This
2: has been a building thing for a while now. Oh, no, now yeah, though. yeah, yeah, but they this have, isn't just one thing.
0: They have until January 1st, 2019 to get this done, because there's no way, in my opinion, they keep the house. If they lose the House and possibly the Senate, which I don't think is going to happen, if Donald Trump – we didn't say this during the so-too part, but I should say this. If Donald Trump can stay off Twitter, his approval ratings are 60% right now. And if Donald Trump can 10, completely 180 his approval ratings, then there's a chance they keep the Senate in the House. And if they do that, then this is a years long investigation. Then he keeps the presidency. If they lose the House and they lose the Senate, then this investigation is done Jan one when the Democrats take over because they will not have it. And you don't have the same power of oversight and investigation when you're the minority party. You just you,
2: don't. you you don't unless you create secret warrantless courts, <laughs> right? And, and y- yeah. just like Obama did. It, it's it, it. I guess. So he still has those powers. At, Obama left those powers for him, so right. he, he still does.
1: At what point... At he what, still has a way At to what point do you... At what point do you think that... Because not everybody in Congress knows about what happens in the intelligence community. Mm-hmm. You have to be in, like... You have to have the clearance. You have to be on the committees and stuff. Right. So do you think that if it does come out that there is a chance, a realistic chance, that the President of the United States was using the intelligence apparatus developed to fight terrorism, to spy for political purposes on American citizens without a Fourth Amendment warrant, do you think that that would make them be like, I guess how likely do you think that would get them to move past the politics of it being against a Democrat president Uh and not be like,
0: this is too big to just ignore? Do you think that that could happen? I think that if that's the case, if Donald Trump turns it into an issue, it's big enough for everybody to care. Because that is that is probably the biggest scandal in the history of America. That's bigger
1: than any of them. It's bigger than Watergate. It's bigger than Teapot Dome. Yeah, because you're talking
0: about about with Creep. They broke into the Democratic Party headquarters and took some photos of some documents. Right. Like, you know, we're talking about... This is the
1: abuse of power. This is the the blind abuse of... It's arbitrary power. Like, Nixon tried to get away with it. Right. But everyone was like, he broke the law. Right. This is literally like, you're abusing... It's legal what you're doing, right? But it is it clearly be legal. wrong. Yeah, it shouldn't and be legal. at This is a all. huge scandal. Yeah, and like like I said, this would be bigger than any scandal in the history of the United well, States, in my opinion. Yeah, they I kept agree.
2: passing those the those laws, and we kept saying that this includes American citizens. And they kept saying, "Well, we'll we'll never use it against well, American we citizens." We take our authority seriously. Well, we'll we never,
3: need
1: safety. We need safety. We need safety. It's and like then the, the safety, reality
2: safety, is, is that. It's going to be 80% of all of these warrants from these FISA courts are on American citizens. But he, it's going to be 8 right. out of every 10. But it, it, yeah. It's a lot. I, we joke yeah. that we're
1: on some government watch list somewhere, but that's only because it's halfway true. Like We probably are. Like,
0: Yeah. yeah I, mean, uh, I mean, remember the time when I made the joke on Facebook and put the NSA keywords when Greg was boarding a plane? They delayed it for 20 minutes, and they searched his bag. Within a matter of five minutes, they had scanned all of Facebook for my NSA keywords and had found what flight he was on and searched his bags. Like, that is how robust it is. I think it goes so far beyond what we even can comprehend Mm -hmm. at this point. Like, Like, just the fact that Facebook Live now can scan your face and tag you automatically in a Facebook Live... You know, it did it today. It scanned the video and tagged my Facebook. Hmm. Like, that's a piece of technology that we go, wow, that's really amazing. Well, what about the unseen technology of an all-powerful, no-rules, unlimited-budget government (laughs) that has more computing power, more hard drives, more processing power than all of Silicon Valley combined? Yeah. What powers do they have? And so you... you. You get one FBI, one motivated deputy director of the FBI who is working with a deputy de- de- deputy attorney general or uh, two FBI agents who are as high as Strzok and McCabe are and they find a dossier and they are anti Trump and they create a story where they get a FISA warrant and The FISA judge just says, okay, well, you're Andy McCabe. You're the deputy director of the FBI. Of course I trust you. I've worked with you for 20 years. You're a man of great integrity. This Carter Page must be really bad. Well, the judge doesn't know. He just trusts Andrew McCabe and doesn't know that he's part of this group inside the DOJ and the FBI that is ready to take him out. Now, this is all conspiratorial speculation but it's all within the realm of possibility. This is all what everybody's trying to find out. Yeah, that, is or, this what? Or happened? the
2: judge knows there's no accountability,
0: for right? It. So it's not the Mueller investigation that. See, it started out with we need to investigate the Mueller investigation. <laughs> it's now do we need to investigate the security services of the United States government? And that is a much bigger specter, much more frightening prospect. Because what happens when? What happens when we don't trust the watchmen anymore? What happens when the American people? They have such little trust in American institutions, and the one they trust the least is the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, and the people that have unlimited spying. That's a dangerous proposition for this country. You know, frankly,
1: uh, my opinion— uh, Good. The, Honestly, yeah. The, that would be a good thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I, but <laughs> frankly, I think that let's say that the worst is comes to light, and people realize this—maybe I'm cynical, but I don't think it will have a huge effect on America— like like we like it would on us like yeah. I think for the politicos and the and the people that are attuned to these kind of things and and the history just people who study history and all these maybe older folks right like they would recognize this as being like insanely bad yeah but I don't get the impression that a large section of America would even care yeah no and, I agree and that's sad to me yeah. they
0: didn't care about Edward Snowden's revelations in Prism They they turned the Obama administration turned the argument to is this person patriotic or not? Going back to what we we're talking about, is he, with the Neil is he not a traitor? Is he a, is he a traitor or not? And so it wasn't about don't look at the revelations. Look at is he a traitor? You know, and I still have people who are libertarians who are in our Facebook group who listen to the show who are like, why would you defend Edward Snowden or Chelsea Manning? Like they're traitors. Like go see the Snowden movie. It,
1: it's literally the definition of a red herring fallacy.
0: Right. Go see the Snowden movie by Oliver Stone. It every piece of Every part of it is accurate. I lived through it. I studied it extensively. The Snowden movie is all accurate. It's a great representation of exactly what happened. When you are done, email me and thank me because your mind has been changed because there's no way not to watch that movie and walk out of there unafraid of your government. You will be afraid of your government after you see it. So. I,
1: I'm intrigued. I I, th- I remember hearing somebody on uh, one of the members of the House said that he wished he hadn't read it because he doesn't like the he doesn't like knowing that our government is capable of doing the things that they want now. Yep. Or capable of what's in that memo. memo, memo. Now, how much of that is just you know sensationalism and over the top rhetoric, and how much of it is literally that this guy. This memo. I mean, this memo. We don't know. The memo could be a freaking bombshell. Like Trump could be rejecting all of the advice of his various advisors by releasing this. Um, And you know, I'm sure that a lot of I've read a lot of people in the House, Republicans included, House and Senate Republicans included, have said, "Don't do this. This don't
0: release this. This shouldn't be released to the public." Um, Is Peter is Peter King against it? Because then I'm 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 for it. If Peter King. From I, New York is for something I am against it. But like a lo-
1: I've, I've been, wa- I've been, re- you know, I've th- been watching <laughs> that a lot of them are saying that don't do this. So if he does, if this is a bombshell, and it does, I mean, yeah, that if it shows that the president of the United States used his authority under the Patriot Act to spy on political opponents or on behalf of a political ally, for
2: it won't, use, it won't implicate Obama.
1: Well, it won't be that big. I don't know how else could you get around it. Yeah. And like, ah, well, okay, the administration. Okay, yeah. so did the you bomb administration on Obama. and then it'll be what did you know and when did you know it?
0: Uh, but yeah, if if that happened, I mean, that is the biggest. Think about it. Everybody says, "Oh, he was scandal-free." No administration is scandal-free. You have Fast and Furious, you have Benghazi, but like those are very minor scandals compared to like I don't know starting a war in Iraq, <laughs> yeah. or on false intelligence or Watergate. So but yeah, that
1: that would be the if, if that <clears> comes <throat> to light, that would be the biggest scandal in my view, in attack. the history of the United States. There would be not uh, there could be nothing bigger than that.
0: All right, let's let's wrap up. Final thoughts for this episode, Chris Galt. Um, I think
2: we have a lot to look forward to. I think for the first time um, in a long time, we have a government where we don't know what will happen tomorrow. And that, in previous administrations, always meant that something bad will happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But for this one, I think for the first time in a while, we can say something good might happen tomorrow. It's not all bad for the first time in a while. I don't. Know, I'm pretty optimistic, guys. That's why I came in here smiling today.
0: When Criscoll is optimistic, and it's great. Whoa, mittens! Mittens. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> mittens just took out the mic. She's she's excited too. But
2: yeah, I I don't know how anyone cannot not can really just hate on all this as a libertarian. I think it's great. Creighton. progress.
1: Um, I I was addendum to the previous topic. Uh. It, it, it frankly, it's not surprising if the FBI abused their authority because if you know uh, if J Edgar Hoover was in charge of the FBI at one point, I mean, like if that guy could be in charge of the FBI, Dude, like
2: read that read that uh, Onion title, the Onion from okay. today. All right, that was so good.
3: Go ahead. <laughs> huh?
1: Oh, I mean, other so, than that, that I, I mean, as far as Galt's optimism, I just I, I am. My priorities since have shifted to where now I'm more interested in – I'm less interested in the specific happenings of day-to-day politics as I am in the long term of what society looks like. Um, And that's just a fancy way for me of saying that I don't read my Facebook news feed every second of every day anymore. Um, And I started reading things other than political treatises. So uh, (laughs) – But yeah, I, I mean, I, I am, I, I treat, I, I treat Trump like I've treated anybody. I, I, don't like him on a lot of things, and I like him on some, on some things. I, yeah. I or maybe a lot of things. I don't know. I couldn't. I, I'd have to go down and count them. But like, I like him on some. I don't like him on others. As far as the politics of his supporters, I don't like some. I do, I do like others. So like, you know, everybody. The the world is a complex place. So, I mean, I'll try. I try and keep myself grounded. Um, when it comes to judgment of political peoples.
0: What? That's also nine why I don't
1: believe that nine eleven was Bush, so
0: Why do you gotta We're almost <laughs> out of here? What are you doing? Uh all right. The this is from the Onion, great headline today. FBI warns Republican Minmo could undermine faith in massive, unaccountable government secret agencies. <laughs> uh the The FBI director, Christopher Wray, says making this memo public will almost certainly impede our ability to conduct clandestine activities operating outside any legal or judicial system with an international scale, noting that it was essential that mutual trust exists between the American people and the vast, mysterious cabal, given free reign to use any tactics necessary to conduct surveillance... Surveillance on uh, U.S. citizens or subvert religious or political groups. It's a great, great article. Thank you to Brandon Luke, Christy Avery, Jason Doolittle, Little, and Craig DeCosta for uh, being our one hundred dollar a month subscribers. You guys are awesome. Thank you all for listening to this episode. I, uh, I, I it was it was a long one. So if you're still here, you're one of the true fans. We appreciate it. Why? What? As always, next time. Oh. Uh, did you, did you, did you two was, plan this ahead of time? But he no. didn't do it. <laughs> this is the first I'm hearing about it. Uh, okay. What's the go word? I don't even know what the go word was. And as always, we promise, do, do better, better next time. time. There you go. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the We Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com.